I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we got legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here live on a Monday morning, 7 a.m., recapping all the week six action, Sam. Mm, bright and early. Got the coffee going. Not like Scott Hansen. No. He doesn't need it. Freak. Yeah. Seven weird. hours of commercial free football with no coffee. Look, the NFL is just natural energy. Scott doesn't need it. I mean, some of them. Other, other, you know, other members of the NFL media, they need their coffee. We need a little Siciliano and Scott Hansen head-to-head. On here. Just coffee volume. Yeah. We'll just, we'll have a, you know, little Andrew discussion needs with him. coffee. Oh, yeah. by the way, we did it. We got, we, we fixed, we fixed the rugby scrum comments. Chris out here on Sunday Night Football, the biggest, the most watched show in America, tells people about a, a mall. He said it was a mall. He said it was a mall. We were on here live on the show last week, and I texted him live from the show. Uh-huh. You know, this could become a thing. Who do I text? I don't, I don't have many numbers, but, no, you know, no. I'll text text Chris, like, something new to say every single week. All right, so we should give him something today. Incredibly proud. Let us know in the chat. What do you want us to, to get Chris to say on the show last? We're one for one so far this year. Well, this was correct. We, we fixed something, you know? We, I got Tariko's details, too. Is, we could we get to Mike. Tariko said it as well. Yeah. This is why, you know, this is why Chris is seen as the best color commentator. Yeah. Because he's out here knowing that not a single soul in America gives a rat's ass about whether it's a scrum or a mall and he's like i'm gonna get it right it's about the details because somebody details. told me somebody you know who understands rugby told me some irish americans watching it. and wants yeah. to know the the truth and he said it yeah well that was great that was sunday night football and now because we've got some bye weeks we are going to fly through this show in at least <laughs> two to four hours so yeah let's get into all the week six action we'll actually we'll start with the one o'clock games no we're gonna start with thursday night football it happened it's a thing it happened it finished 12 to 7 the Commanders won. Commanders 12, Bears 7. Yeah. Is that it? That's about all I got. Yeah. What do you got? I like that the two weeks ago it was 12 to 9, mm-hmm. and last week was 12 to 7. Yeah. We thought, you know, the week before was the worst football game to ever take place, and this one couldn't possibly be any worse. It would be at least entertainingly bad. It was just bad, bad. It wasn't much entertainment. It was kind of cute, bad. No, like, no. Oh, you know, this is cute. Oh, Carson bad. Wentz hurt his finger. It was tough to throw. A monster passing day for Justin Fields with 190 yards. Yeah, it was great. He had, a, he had one sick throw. He had one big-time throw. <laughs> he had one sick throw. All right, Commanders 12, Bears 7. Can we get Justin to... Fields' epitaph. He had one yeah. sick throw. He had one sick the throw. End. Next. It was entertaining. Though. I don't care. Like the 12-9 to 9 and the 12-7 to 7 game came down to the wire the last two weeks. Amazon is yeah. just... Coming. The, my favorite part is going to be Al Michaels throughout the entire season. It's like they so mad. They have to watch every team. A man like they're spent, obligated to watch every team. A man spent the last twenty five years watching the best game every week on Sunday Night Football. You know the pick of the, the pick of the crop or Monday Night Football. You sure? Yeah. yeah. And now he's well, that's even longer. How long has he been doing those two years combined? Um, and now he it's goes 90s. to Thursday night, and they, they don't they don't have had many good games. It's not that good. Sherm on the sideline getting mad. They're all mad. A lot of madness there. It's great. I rate people. That's what Thursday Night Football is all about. <laughs> Making people angry. All right. Where are we going to start with yesterday's action? 
Cincinnati Bengals 30, New Orleans Saints 26. Comeback win for the Bengals. And um, a couple weeks ago, every team was 2-2. Two and two. Now they're all 3-3. Three and three. Bengals move to 3-3. Three and three. Saints fall to 2-4. and four. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. This was uh, you know, a little flashback to last year, wasn't it, Sam? Yeah, it really was. This felt a lot like the games from a year ago. Um, this was... Yeah, you know, it's not necessarily going amazingly. It's a little bit on the edge, but ultimately Burrow, Chase, the the key weapons that they have on offense just made the plays when it counted, and they were able to go after uh, certain Saints defenders, target weak links, and and get success at the end of it. And it's like the Saints, they, they haven't played the Saints, right, since Jamar Chase came into the NFL. This is, no. the Saints felt like a team that was surprised the same way Jamar Chase was surprising everybody last year. It's like th- that play where he catches it, outruns somebody the end zone. It doesn't look like he should be able to do that on tape. And yet when you get there in person, it happens. It's a really good point. That's what he was doing last year. The other point that we made earlier in the year, uh, earlier in the preview show, it seemed like the the league had started to catch on to playing the Bengals. We got this too high narrative and all that stuff. Saints didn't do it a whole lot. Only 15 dropbacks for Joe Burrow against too high. He did take the underneath stuff, 10 of 12 for 96 yards. Now, otherwise, now this includes red zone defense, which we kind of like lump into this, this broader group. But outside of uh, facing two high shells, Joe Burrow, 18 of 25 for 204 in the three touchdowns, including the game winner to Jamar Chase. They rotate late to single high. And this was like last year when you saw this, it was like an automatic, hey, Jamar Chase is one-on-one. And they give it to him one-on-one, breaks a couple tackles. You could tell uh, Bradley Roby and Paulson Adebo just not, without Marshawn Lattimore, Saints were lacking in the single coverage area, one-on-ones on the outside, and the Bengals just took advantage there. Yeah, teams have been going after Paulson Adebo a lot this season. Um, and this was another game where that happened. He, 10 targets, led the team, gave up eight catches for 74 yards, a touchdown, Um his, like he had a forcing completion, but he's been getting attacked. And when you the Bengals have the kind of players to do that and get away with, not just get away with it, but actually succeed with T. Higgins, with Jamar Chase. Yeah, this was a lot like, this felt like last year's Bengals. Um, it was also a game where if you had told me, Saints fans, that they were going to get a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow. And, not, and it wasn't even all pressure. It was just a lot of wins. But Burrow was getting rid of the ball Pretty quickly, outside of a couple plays that he extended, he had that uh, real spectacular pass to Tyler Boyd after scrambling around a little bit. You take out a couple plays, the Bengals were getting rid of the ball pretty quickly. They used Tyler Boyd in the quick passing game. He had four first downs. But the Bengals, at the moment, as we're finalizing grades here, 37 pass blocking grade. Marcus Davenport with a huge game against Jonah Williams. A couple sacks in there for Jonah Williams. But, you know, you, you felt the Bengals getting rid of the ball to open receivers more than I think the you felt the pressure outside of a couple of big sacks in the fourth quarter down the down the stretch there. So the Bengals again overcome poor pass protection, spread the ball around offensively, and then Jamar Chase just takes over. Yeah, worst game of the season for Jonah Williams, certainly as a pass blocker so far against, you know, admittedly decent opposition, but Williams is supposed to be the sort of you know, the the rock, the steady guy on this offensive line, they they overhauled three or four of the positions depending on, uh, or upgraded three or four of the positions depending on your outlook in the offseason. And then Jonah Williams was the one holdover from the line that we thought, yeah, he's good enough to get by with anyway. 
if Williams has a game like yesterday with, you know, a pass blocking grade, probably under 30, giving up a bunch of pressure, that's problematic. Like you, you kind of need the guy that is, is relied upon a solid to be solid, but he's always been at that kind of level of the tackle where most of the time you don't have to worry about him. But every now and again, he's going to come up against a matchup where he is overwhelmed and he's going to get his ass kicked. And that those games are where the problem arises. Like that's the one sort of flaw in the concept of creep back toward average across the board is that average is fine. But when average goes up against elite, average gets wrecked. And yeah, that's some, that's an issue. Some rough games in there sometimes. Um, Saints were down their top three receivers, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry. So they're. Stitching it together, Marquez Calloway, Juwan Johnson, Traquan Smith. It just um, and Rashid Shahid, who had fresh off the practice, a crazy uh, touchdown on the ground, like really good uh, carry where he looked fast, looked quick, you know, made people miss. Just great play. It, it feels like the Saints, if they were a championship caliber team, you'd have a Rashid Shahid. And uh, Taysom Hill game where it's like, wow, the Saints. They, I, I'd be saying the same thing I say, say about the Eagles. They have different ways to win, right? You know, last week was the Taysom Hill game. Shahid just comes off the bench, come off, comes off the practice squad for a 44-yard touchdown. You've got the, you know, Alvin Kamara and, and Mark Ingram ran hard. But the Saints are lacking in more key areas, right? Pass protection was an issue for them as well. Missing all their receivers, just inconsistency offensively. And then defensively. Injuries caught up too, but the secondary has not been nearly as good. I always describe them as a secondary that makes life difficult for opposing quarterbacks. We're not seeing that in recent weeks, and we're not seeing that particularly in the fourth quarter when they've had some leads to hold on to, and that's not happening here. So um, I thought game plan-wise, I like the way you described it. They haven't seen Jamar Chase. They haven't They haven't felt Jamar Chase I in genuinely person. think that's a thing, that any team that's dealt with Jamar Chase before is much more readily available or much more readily capable of dealing with him now because there's something weird about that guy where what his explosiveness his dynamism as an athlete just does not translate on tape and when you're watching him on tape it doesn't look as impressive and then you see it in person it's like whoa where did this come from this is not this is not what i saw when i've been working you know the tape all all the way through preparing for this game it's different and that's why i I mean look this is this is stupidly small sample size. This is attaching a pattern mentally to where one might not exist. But Marshawn, uh, yeah, Marshawn Lattimore. No, Marshawn, uh, Marlon Humphrey. That's Marlon the name Humphrey. I was shooting yeah. for there. Marlon Humphrey got absolutely destroyed by Jamar Chase the first time he played him um, in a way that looked like he just wasn't ready for what was going to happen to him. He played him again last week and totally different thing. Like he... He looked way better. He was never overwhelmed. Nothing changed in those two guys between the last time and this time. Humphrey was just better prepared for it. And I think any team that hasn't faced uh, Jamar Chase already is going to get shocked. Maybe it'll only happen once or twice, but it'll happen. Um, but the teams that are, you know, have seen it in person, I think are going to be better able to deal with it. I like it, man. Good point. So the, so the Bengals moved to three and three which, of course, sits atop the AFC North because the Baltimore Ravens lost to the New York Giants. The Giants moved to 5-1, and one, Sam. Don't even say it. Don't say it. Don't say where they rank in the hierarchy of 5-1 and one teams historically. Okay. Giants moved to 5-1. and one. A comeback win 
against the Baltimore Ravens scored, what, 14 in the fourth quarter to make the comeback. Impressive game for the Giants. Second straight week now. They beat the Packers last week. They beat the Ravens this week. You mentioned on the PFF NFL Daily, you think this is the best win of the season for the Giants. I So I was prepared to say that this is the best, the most impressive game I've seen from the Giants, even when they were losing. Like anticipating a loss, I was about to say that this was the most impressed I've been from the Giants this season. Um, and then they somehow end up winning it. You know, Lamar, an ill-advised Lamar uh, interception, and then the the strip sack by Kayvon Thibodeau. Really nice play, critical right at the end to essentially win the game for them. Um, so for them to actually win it, I think is really impressive. I So <laughs> obviously, you know, I've been harping on the Giants. It's not very good, um, criticizing how good they are relative to their record. I still think those things are true, you know. People want to put an incredible amount of importance attached to just a win-loss record. It's 16 games. You don't have time to, like, let's let's let it play out and see where it all pans out, you know. So you're five, six games in. you got to say, well, let's just make some conclusions now. Now, what is clear is that the Giants are going to end up with a much better record than I expected them to have. They're already five wins in. That's basically where I thought they'd be at the end of the season. They have some very winnable games still on the schedule. They might end up winning quite a lot of games. Um, It's the best start for the Giants since 2009. The the 2009 team had a 5-0 start. You know what they finished that year? 8-8. Yeah. So as much as we want to draw sweeping conclusions because they're 5-1, you know, it doesn't always go that way. They're five and one with one of the worst point differentials that a five and one team has ever had. You know, it's not. It's like, yeah, let's give them credit. They win, they're winning some games. They're winning some games that they shouldn't have. They weren't expected to win. But I, I think we can. There's a happy middle ground where we can acknowledge they're overachieving without saying that main that means they're contenders. You know what I mean? That's all I'm looking for here. The nuance to say that this team is overachieving right now. Credit to Brian Dayball. Credit to Wink. They've had very good game plans. Both Fans sides can be happy. Ball. Like they, they should be excited. Yeah, and I think that those game plans have absolutely contributed to them winning games. But I would stop short of saying this is a sustainable thing that's going to go long term. It's just going to result in them having more wins at the end of the season than we expected them to have. I, I think the more frustrating thing is that somewhere somebody's going to say Saquon Barkley, fresh off of a... 3.8 yards per carry game is going to be like in the MVP conversation or something. Okay. Because people tre- tend to retrofit while they're five and one. We got to find an MVP. Got to find an MVP candidate. Let's make it Barkley. Um, anyway, uh, let's, let's give the giants credit here. And we had, we talked a lot specifically about zero blitzes. You know, when you blitz with no safety help, that wasn't necessarily the game plan for Wink Martindale and the giants, but they just blitzed. They blitzed like crazy. Um, Lamar got blitzed on 25 of 36 dropbacks, including the the interception that he had to let the Giants back into the game, and then the fumble on the game-winning drive attempt. And, you know, it seemed to work, man. There was a touchdown in there as well, but Lamar has a passer rating of 68.9. And when you blitz 25 of 36 times, clearly, Wink Martindale going with you know, what brings him to the dance, and then specifically against Lamar Jackson. That tends to be the way that you want to attack him. Lamar broke out for a couple big runs, but throwing the football, another uneven game for Lamar, and the Giants took advantage. Yeah, this it wasn't a good game for Lamar as a passer in particular um, for, what is that, the second straight game that's happened? 
I believe so. Yeah. And that look, that's a problem. If if Baltimore is only going to be as good as we expected them to be preseason, you know, as uh, the potentially the best team in the division, if Lamar is playing at the peak of his powers, if Lamar is going to be a lackluster passer reliant on his run game, it's it's not going to be enough against a lot of teams. And apparently, the Giants are good enough to be in that conversation. It it does. It did feel like maybe the Ravens' weapons were were catching up here. By the way, the the interception just a, a freak play. It's third and five. So the Giants are up. I mean, the Ravens are up three. Three oh five left in the fourth quarter. It's third and five. If the Ravens convert. They're pretty close to sealing this game. We get an early snap by the center. Lamar's not waiting. We're not ready for it. Bounces off of him. So he goes, picks it up. But this is when the bad decision comes in because hmm. he's Lamar. He can catch it. Most quarterbacks are just jumping on it. He catches it, gets outside the pocket, which is one thing, but then throws back across his body. Julian Love picks it off. It was a weird play where, you know, we talk a lot about guys like Mahomes or, you know, Josh Allen or, or Lamar. You're freaky athletic enough to put yourself in a position to make plays that other quarterbacks can't. This is where it worked against him. You know, yeah. he, he was freaky enough to put himself in a position to make a bad play that other quarterbacks wouldn't have been able to make because they would have just fallen on the ball in the first place and taken the loss. Yeah, it's it's also one of those plays like, look, I'm not trying to pour uh, cold water on any highlight real play that a Patrick Mahomes, a Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, that any of those guys make. But those plays are awesome. But the same style sometimes leads to those bad plays as well. We saw it with Mahomes a little bit yesterday in the comeback attempts, which we'll talk about later. And then in this case with Lamar Jackson, just trying to do a little bit too much. Then again, in the comeback attempt, you got a buck 40 left in the fourth quarter. You know, we've seen Lamar Jackson just a couple weeks ago, uh, just uh, Sunday night football against the Bengals. He make, leads the the comeback. Now they needed a touchdown here, not a field goal, but the uh, the blitz gets to him again. He fumbles, Giants recover. And uh, that's it. This wasn't even a blitz, was it? No, it looks like a four-man rush. <laughs> it was a great play by Thibodeau. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Kayvon Thibodeau strips it. But So another game, Ronnie Stanley is working his way back. He still hasn't quite – he's not 100% of the snaps yet, but he's pretty close. Um, what the, the – the starting offensive line at 36 pass-blocking snaps, Ronnie Stanley at 31, and didn't give up pressure. I believe uh, Ronnie Stanley hasn't given up a pressure yet since coming back into the lineup. That, I mean, that's huge. They were, remember, the the, uh, the Ravens were down to fourth-string left tackle at one point. Daniel Falele, the six foot eight, 380-pound-ish behemoth left, left tackle in college, right tackle in theory in the NFL. Um he was playing left tackle for them and they were, you know, desperately giving him any kind of help possible to make sure he wasn't one-on-one against anybody to be able to go from that to, Hey, Ronnie Stanley's back. Maybe we can forget about left tackle would be great. Like that's a huge upgrade should help. It does feel like the Ravens are, are, are missing a playmaker. You know, you've got Mark Andrews. He gets his 106 yards. He had 106 of the 210 receiving yards. We've seen Devin Duvernay be the, the other option really in the last few weeks are they missing another key receiver we've asked we've asked this question before with the ravens um because it was another one of those games they ran for 211 on the ground Kenyon drake broke out with 119 on just 10 carries lamar got his both as a scrambler and as a design runner are they missing that other go-to guy that isn't mark andrews yeah 
Well, they are literally. You know, Rashad Bateman isn't out there. No, I know. So, like, but even but even if Bateman's out there, is it you know? They I mean, don't look, use receivers as much as other teams, but they don't. But there's still like there's a difference between hey, it's Mark Andrews is our number one guy. Rashad Bateman's out there can can be a, a, a decent foil to okay. If Mark Andrews isn't able to get it done by himself, now we have to turn to you know Demarcus Robinson. Like that, that's a big difference. Meanwhile, on the other side, Daniel Bellinger gets finds the end zone again. The rookie again. tight end, Daniel Jones, making some good throws. You got Wandale in there in the end zone, so. Daniel Jones must be making moves towards, you know, a pretty decent PFF grade at this point. He's grading quite well the last few weeks. Just the last couple of weeks, I think he's played. Three straight played games solid. in the 70s. After three straight games, not in the 70s. There you go. Giants move to 5-1. and one, The loaded NFC East. Today's podcast is presented by our newest sponsor. It's Viore. Incredibly versatile, comfortable. you got to love all of the different options there. The great pants, shorts. You've got some nice polos and everything that just fits great, designed to look great in everyday life. I like the clothes that are just, that look nice, but you know, they feel and play like sweats, right? They play like my uh, work from home attire, but Viore's got both. It's classy. You can wear it out, but it's incredibly comfortable. So gotta love Viore. We appreciate having them as part of the show. Viore's an investment in your happiness for our listeners. They're offering 20% off your first purchase. That's right. All you have to do is go to viore.com slash PFF. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing at viore.com slash PFF. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash PFF. So once you go to that website, automatically, boom, 20% off your first purchase. Not only will you receive that 20% off your first purchase, but you can also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 plus free returns. So go to viore.com slash PFF and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You still loving your Viore? Yeah. You're going to need to give me a heads up when they're, uh, they're an ad read and I'll actually wear it for the show, which I think is the design of that whole thing. But looks like we're going to awesome. be uh, talking about Viore on Mondays. Mondays. Okay. Yeah. They're going to be one of our, they're going to be kicking it off here probably in the seven o'clock hour on Mondays. Perfect. Until that changes. Yeah. Well, the, I, the Let's have Viore Monday. The waffle knit hoodie in particular is a, a favorite of mine. I like that. Super comfortable. It's the kind of more, you know, boomer fabric. Cotton, I believe, is the the term. You know, newfangled, newfangled cotton. I'm talking about the nice, you know, comfort and versatility. You're talking about how they can uh, appeal to boomers too. Well, you know, they've also got the the ath- what is it, athleisure? Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, I thought we established this last week. Well, I yeah, we do. I just struggle sometimes with how you Yankees say things. Yeah, athleisure wear. Okay, gotcha. Viore.com/slash/pff. All right, so congrats to the Giants. Moving to five and one. Giants fans, be excited. Just don't talk about Saquon Barkley in the MVP race. All right. New England Patriots 38, Cleveland Browns 15, Bailey Zappi 2 0. Yeah. QB controversy in New England. Is he 2 0? Does he get, we give him credit for the last one? He started two games. Oh, he started two games. Yeah. So he only gets the, he doesn't get the one where he came in for uh, Axel. <clears throat> Correct. Okay. We, gotcha. we established that we don't, you don't come in. No, you're going to get women. It's like, did you, did you take the first start, the snap? Yes. Okay. Starter. Bailey Zappi looking good, man. 24 for 34 for 309, two touchdowns. Uh, Patriots kind of had this game in hand. Started with Jacoby Brissett interception on one of the first plays of the game. It didn't get much better for the Cleveland Browns. This was like the classic example of what we talked about before the game, which is, you know, Jacoby Brissett seen as the game manager, never actually been that careful with the football. 
and we saw that a couple of times in this game. That first interception was a perfect example. It's like play action, you know, roll to the right, set off, you know, pass set up off the run game, and then just inaccurate thrown to the DB. You're like, yeah, I mean, you know, look, we're <laughs> you're, this is what you need to be able to do. Like, if you can't do this, and actually on these plays you're going to create turnovers, that's going to be a problem for us. The um, the other interception. Patriots blitzing. Patriots, I mean, they do this often, but really nice job crowding the line of scrimmage, creating confusion up front. They got home with a pass rush a few times with four sacks, but on this particular one, they got a free rusher on Brissett. He probably shouldn't have worked. He was trying to work a double move, a little pump and go. It's first and 10. Probably shouldn't have been trying to do that against the blitz. Gets hit while he's throwing. Ball pops up, gets intercepted as well. So um, also have a fumble in there where the ball just slipped out of his hand. So four turnover-worthy plays. For Jacoby Brissett. And five drop passes didn't help either. Yes. I mean, it was just... Including, by the way, two from Anthony Schwartz, who A, must have one of the worst drop rates in NFL history at this point, and B, is actually useless right now. Like, genuinely pointless. You bring blazing speed to the table and apparently nothing else. Like, you're, you're uh, right so now, angry you're, sometimes. you're Troy Williamson. You get so mad sometimes. I just... What is the point in being... Like four two speed, six. I mean, the foot. guy's trying. He's trying hard. Try harder. I'm sure he's practicing. Stay out there for the next week and a half with the jugs machine. Like how? This, Schwartz is one of those interesting guys where, like the, I was I was complimenting the Browns last year in week one because they had a plan for him week one. It's like oh, there's a couple jet sweeps, a couple yeah. deep balls, but he he never the jet sweep stuff's fine. You just take a handoff and run fast. The receiver skills for Schwartz just never developed. Now, I love taking the chance, right? If you've got 4-2 speed and maybe you can develop some ball skills and get behind the defense and just catch it. Um, clearly, he's not yeah. at the moment. I mean, the first one, it's like it's a wide-open slant. You're, you, the guy's 10 yards off. He puts the ball right on you, and you sort of fall over and drop it. I mean, we, like that's genuine Troy Williamson territory. Well, the guy on the other side with Schwartz-like speed, Tyquan Thornton, Starting to become a playmaker for the Patriots here. Their second round receiver. Don't forget, we uh, we and others in the media very critical of the Patriots draft, getting Cole Strange in the first round, Tyquan Thornton in the second round. But Thornton, he has a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. You could see, you know, his dynamic playmaking ability. Then now that he's uh, been back healthy these last couple of weeks, I thought the touchdown to Thornton, fantastic job by Bailey Zappi. They were running a little pick route on the front side. And uh, Hunter Henry and whoever else he was trying to set a pick for just really screwed it up. Like, they were just running into each other. And Zappi just works backside, and Tyquan Thornton beats, I think it was Greedy Williams, for speed. Little uh, little crosser in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. The So, impressive job by Bailey Zappi, by the way, these last couple weeks. Hasn't looked like a rookie. They've um, eased him in. Yes, he's played the Lions and the Browns defenses. Got to put that into perspective. He's looked comfortable in the pocket. Like all those things we say about a rookie where you just don't look overwhelmed. He looked a little overwhelmed against the Packers, but that was his debut, a relief outing. The two times Zappi started looked pretty good. Yeah, for a ridiculed draft class, the Patriots rookies are doing a hell of a job. I mean, Cole Strange has been solid. Uh, There's some rough grades in there, but a lot of them have come against very tough opposition. So I would say he's outperforming his grade, um, and the grade isn't terrible. You've got Tyquan Thornton working his way back after an injury to, to miss time. Jack Jones, the rookie corner, is playing out of his mind. Marcus Jones is playing solid. Um, 
and Bailey Zappi has come in and actually been decent. I, yesterday was the first time it even registered with my brain. Is that a done deal that Mac Jones is the starting quarterback going forward? How much longer would Bailey Zappi need to play at this level? Because remember, so... And I've, I, I understand that I am on record as ridiculing this suggestion when it comes to Dak Prescott and I was gonna, Cooper Rush. I was going to bring that up. I have counters to that. Number one, you can't ignore the contract situation there. Dak Prescott just got $11 billion. Uh, Mac Jones is on a rookie mid-first-round contract. That's a very reasonable deal to be able to carry forward even as a backup. Number two, Mac Jones, as impressive as he was as a rookie— Still wasn't at the level where you would say, all right, we're we're definitely set here. And didn't really hit that level from like midway through the season onwards. So the last time we kind of saw that version of Mac Jones for more than a game was like a year ago at this point. And it's a pretty small sample size of that level of play in the first place. So I guess my point is there's not an awful lot tying you to the concept of Mac Jones as your starter other than we spent a first-round pick on this guy. And if there's any team in the world that's willing to go, well, to hell with that, we're putting the best guy out there, it's the Patriots and Bill Belichick. I get it. Yes, that talk's already happened in New England because that's what happens, right? The talk was happening in <laughs> Cleveland, this very team. So yeah. I would say the evidence is well, this. This is the first one that isn't dumb, I think. Like The, the evidence the idea is in of, this football game. Yeah, but the idea of like Brissett over Watson was stupid. The idea of Dak Prescott being benched for Cooper Rush, also stupid. This is the first one where it's like, okay, it would be weird, but it's not dumb. You did, With Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones, you have two similar players. Pretty good decision makers, pretty accurate. Don't have cannons for an arm. I think Mac even has a better arm than Bailey Zappi. I, you have to put in perspective the I know you said Mac Jones hasn't played a whole lot of good games mm-hmm. when he did however they were against these types of teams last year right he had his good games against the Jets and you know he had one good game against the Cowboys but he had some good games against some lesser defenses I I have a feeling had Mac Jones been available to play against the Lions and the Browns the last couple of weeks he would have put up similar numbers would have had similar results as Bailey Zappi so I don't think it's there yet but of all the coaches, of all the teams, Patriots are most willing to say, we're going to move on from our first-round pick for our fourth-round pick. Yeah, I, look, I, don't, I, I just want to say, look, Cooper Rush last night in a game where the game flow's not there, right? We've now seen Zappi in a game where they dominated the Lions from start to finish. They got a defensive touchdown. They got some defensive help in this game. He's never had this, you know, come-from-behind Opportunity. He's never had this, you know, we got a pass. That, that was when Cooper Rush gets exposed, right, for most of, of last night's game. Same thing with Brissett, right? They're down, and he's got to chuck it around, and you don't have Nick Chubb, you know, breaking off 40-yard carry, you know, runs in this one. Like, let's just hold on a little bit and say good job by Bailey Zappi so far. You also have plays like Hunter Henry runs an out route. I forget who it was in coverage for the Browns, just falls over. Yeah. 31-yard touchdown. Like, like, the stats are good. John o. Smith breaks through for 53-yarder. Like, the stats are good for Zappi. He's doing good stuff. He's playing well. But, like, let's just, let's just hold on a little bit here. Sure. I mean, look, I, I'm not saying I would do it now. All I'm saying is yesterday was the first time it even registered in my head that that could be a thing. And I think there's a significant difference between the contract situations of Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, and Mac Jones, whose total deal is worth $15 million. 
You know what I mean? Like Deshaun Watson has what 230 guaranteed for five years. Dak Prescott's getting like 45 million dollars a year. Mac Jones getting 15 over four years. I'm just saying that's a much easier deal to be able to say, you know what, son, you're not actually starting anymore. Take a seat in the bench. Yeah, I don't see it happening unless you know, unless Zappy. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think he's gonna have enough. Mac might be back this week. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he has enough runway to make it happen. If he had another like three weeks and we got good Zappy for three straight weeks, now I think you're talking. It's a debate. If you, uh, by the way, Bailey Zappy was fantastic last year at Western Kentucky. Yeah, transferred in a lot of production. He was a fun player. (coughs) Having some coughing issues here today. Okay, I'm choking a little bit here. Great. Um, Zappy was 11 for 15, 186, two touchdowns against the Blitz. Love that touchdown to Tyquan Thornton. And um, talk about the Browns' defense. Let's talk about the Browns' defense. They didn't have much of a defense in this game. Um, disappointing performance. I mean, this was Miles Garrett showing out with an absolutely dominant game, as per usual, and then nobody else. Garrett was announced that he wasn't going to play, right? I don't know what he played. He played well. Very it was well, announced on, like, Friday. Garrett's out. Denzel Ward's out. Garrett ended up playing. But, yeah. I mean, good job. Good job by the Patriots. Now, I just want to say to you, if it just dawned on you that there's there could be a QB controversy, like you're way too late. Well, I don't like to entertain these things because they're usually absurd. Yeah, like, like as the, soon as Zappi completed a pass against the Lions two weeks ago, it's like, oh boy. Yeah. Well, the pip. I mean, the difference is I'm not a moron, right? Oh. So when you, like, sure people were that. saying Cooper Rush is going to start over Dak Prescott weeks ago, it was always absurd. So. I didn't entertain it until the last possible second where it's like, come on, let's let's stop with this. This is silly. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. And very quickly, we will discover the reasons it's not going to happen, say, you know, Sunday night against Philadelphia. Uh, But this one actually this one actually could happen in terms of there's no reason for it not to contract, you know, contractually. They're not tied to Mac Jones the same way the other two teams are tied to their starting quarterback. Therefore, it's at least plausible that it could happen. As of right now, by the way, uh, Miles Garrett, pass rushing grade of 94.3 for the Browns, pass rush win rate of 36.4%. If you're over a third as a pass rush win rate, that's insane. Nobody else on the Browns has a pass rushing grade above 55. Sorry, no, 60. There's a couple of high 50s in there. That's it's genuinely Miles Garrett and nobody else. It's honestly part of the reason I, I feel like I... I didn't like this Browns roster as uh, I, I liked this Browns roster less than I did the last two years. They waited a long time to attack the defensive line. They actually didn't, they didn't really attack it this off season. They didn't do much on the defensive interior outside of like a Taven Bryan signing brought your Davian Clowney back late, which was fine, which was good. He's banged up now. I, I didn't like the depth there. Yeah. I didn't like what they, what they did there. And that's just not, not showing up. No, Sam, if you could interpret that. I tried, and I have no idea what you're saying. There's a B at the beginning of that. That should get you there. All right, let's stay in the the AFC East. New York Jets are 4-2, 27-10 victory over the Green Bay Packers. Nice, nice. Well done. Wow, the low-scoring game, and then the Jets just pull away in the second half, as expected. <laughs> as expected. Sauce Gardner, man, tearing it up. Sauce Gardner, please tell me, does he, does he have a good grade or are we killing him again? No, he does. Oh, good. He does. Good, excellent. Let me just make sure. Yeah. Nothing uh, fell apart there. 
something like one for seven. I meant to check. Coverage grade is 83. We're okay. We're good. Yeah. One for seven when targeted. Did you see the play where he's uh, covering Romeo Dobbs? It was kind of going around the internet yeah. yesterday. and uh-huh. The isolation on him, the movement skills. Really nice play. Four, also, yep. uh, four total pass. Yeah, four forced incompletions by Sauce. It was a really nice. That one in particular was a very nice play from Sauce. Also felt like a very weird ball location. for You wanted to keep it inside, but yeah. Um, he also had that almost interception right at the start that was would have been an absolute freak show of a play where – Somehow the ball sort of goes, bounces right off the hands. You know, turf, hands are on the turf, try and catch the ball at the low, and it bounces straight up into Sauce's hands, and he returns it for a pick six. And, you know, initially it was like, hey, Sauce Gardner, pick six. Everyone's immediately messaging me on Twitter and be like, hey, what do you think about Sauce now? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sauce may well be playing incredibly in this game, but that's really not a great play to illustrate it. Um, but he ended up playing outstandingly. Also, uh, so did Quinn and Williams, who was just a monster in this game. Uh, a bunch of dominant plays as a pass rusher. Um, ends up blocking a field goal. Or was it a field goal punt? Blocking a punt. The Packers special teams went back to the whole... Both teams blocked a, blocked a punt in this one. I think did the Jets the Jets had a touchdown in all three phases, did they? Offense, defense, and special teams. No, that pick six didn't count. No, but didn't they have a fumble return or something as well? That was on the punt. Okay. I believe. Um, yeah. So the Packers special teams went back to you just didn't get above failure, which is a problem if your offense is going to be as bad as it was in this game. Yeah, I mean, look, we, I, I got a DM yesterday that said, um, make sure Sam's nice to Zach Wilson. He's 3-0. Okay. This was um, – Zach didn't look great. But the Jets offense – What's that? 38 grade? Don't worry about it. Okay. The Jets offense. 10 for 19? Why am I being nice to him? Just, you know. Because he's 3-0? He's 3-0. Okay, gotcha. So this wasn't, Zach Wilson was good the last couple weeks, I think, but not as good in this game. But it, it's, it's such a weird year, Sam, right? It's a weird year where we're talking about the Giants, like, scheming open tight end end arounds and stuff like that. And the Jets are doing similar stuff. A Braxton Berrios 20-yard end around. These are things that they showed last year, but at the time, Braxton Berrios was like their number one wide receiver. And it's like, oh, they, they do some creative red zone stuff with Braxton Berrios. That's cool. Mm. It'd be cool, though, if you had three receivers on the depth chart ahead of him, and that would make it a little bit more effective. The Jets are there now, where they have better depth. They have more weight. They have more playmakers. So you got a Braxton Berrios 20-yard touchdown to go up 10-3. to three. You p- block the punt for a touchdown. I mean, that's the absolute turning point in the game. Going up 17-3 to three in the second half. Packers come back. Rodgers throws a dime to Alan Lazard for a 25-yard touchdown. But then you also have have Brees Hall. And Brees Hall has been running well and everything. But this is another trick play, basically. He's lined up as a wing, end around, runs through the defense for a 34-yarder. And that one completely put it out of reach for the Jets. I thought the Jets... So my point is, offensively for the Jets, two end-around touchdowns, a blocked punt for a touchdown... Winning in all all three phases, absolutely. Will Parks touchdown, by the way. It was Will Parks. Yeah, it was. He's a Jet, huh? Mm-hmm. How many? Te- he's he's closing in on Josh Special McCown. Special team stud. Closing in on Josh McCown there. Um, on the other side, uh, they Aaron Rodgers gets sacked four times, uh, three of them on third down. I mean, the Jets just. I thought you know watching them, they did a really nice job meshing their coverage with 
their pass rush. I, they did not dominate up front from a pass rush standpoint. They got home when they needed to, a couple effective stunts. And and really with Rodgers, it was taking away his first read and yeah. taking things away. And he one of the sacks was on him. You just you watch them play and the margin for error with this receiving group is just zero. Like there was an absolute dime Rodgers dropped into Alan Lazard in tight coverage. And it's like this is a great play, you know, great throw, great catch. <laughs> but the DB is like staple to Alan Lazard because Lazard just can't separate like that. So you only have to look at the target volume or the target distribution in this game to see the problem. Alan Lazard, 10 targets, four catches. Robert Tunyon, 12 targets. Uh, Romeo Dubs had nine targets. A.J. Dillon, six. Aaron Jones, five. So the running backs combined for 11 targets. There's just nobody for him to throw to. And this was the problem going into the season. It's still the problem now. Like, if the Packers are not hammering the phones every week for OBJ and being like, dude, how's the knee going? Hey, would you like to come, you know, rehab Green Bay? Okay, it's getting chilly these days, but we'll make it nice. You know, we'll, we'll set you up. Like, they should be lobbying the ever-living crap out of OBJ to get him in that building. Because if he's not, I don't see how this team can win a Super Bowl. I, I just don't. Yeah, the thing that stands out to me... Rodgers still, you mentioned that throw to Lazard. He had a couple, the, the touchdown to Lazard was great. He had another big-time throw in there. Three big-time throws. Usually, if you get to three or four big-time throws in a game, you're going to grade well, unless you just have a ridiculous number of turnover-worthy plays. Now, Rodgers did have a sack. The ball pretty much just slipped out of his hand. There were some you know tough conditions. Had another one he threw into coverage. So there were a couple there. But his passing grade, I don't know if it went final yet or whatever, but it's low 60s. So it's not a great game when he threw some absolute dimes in there yeah, and they averaged, this is, this has just been the same story, right? He's averaging six yards per attempt on the game. That was the game a couple weeks ago against new England, where if he doesn't hit a spectacular third and 10 and another third and long, the Packers lose to Bailey Zappi in his first relief appearance, right? If, if Rogers does not hit three or four special throws, the Packers have no shot. Now, yesterday he did, and they still only scored 10 points yeah. because the quote, what I call the easy stuff, the easy first outs, right? The 10-yard, here's a 10-yard out. Here's an 8-yard slant, right? Like, those are not there in this offense right now. We're going to talk about the Bucks later on, too. There's similarities with the Bucks offense where it's like Brady's making a few spectacular throws and then a whole bunch of misses and just junk. They can't rely. You the can't, Packers are playing the same way right now. They can't rely on anybody on offense winning one-on-one so it has to be Rodgers making something special happen which is possible and and happens reasonably regularly certainly compared with other quarterbacks but like it's not enough you can't everybody else is too good at this point for you to get by week to week playing in that direction the 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 biggest problem for Green Bay relative to where everybody thought they would be preseason this this is all exactly going to script you know Rodgers struggling. He's, his grade right now is mid-70s, which is exactly where it was the last time he had no receivers, 2015. That was the analog. Jordy Nelson tears his ACL, right, but preseason. No time to find a replacement. Crap, we're just going to have to go through with the guys we have. Rodgers' grade dropped from league-leading 90 level to 75. That's exactly what's happening right now. Back-to-back MVPs. His grade right now is mid-70s. That's exactly what is supposed to happen. Um, that part is going completely descript the thing that's different is the defense was supposed to be the best defense in the league the best defense Rodgers has ever played with the defense is playing like crap right now and is getting lit up by the jets 
I mean, playing like crap. They didn't, they didn't get lit up by the Jets. Their defense is kind of playing like crap. It was the run. I mean, again, it was, it's a couple end of rounds. The, the Jets run game did a really nice job. Michael Carter in there with uh, 41 yards as well, along with Brees Hall's 116. I mean, they held Zach Wilson to 110 passing yards. Should have been, And, you know, where they missed was Zach did throw the ball into coverage a couple times, including in the end zone, and got away with them. They just didn't capitalize on those turnover opportunities. Of course, they let Corey Davis get open for a 41-yarder as well. But. Of course. By the way, Zach Wilson is murdering the production of Garrett Wilson, who looked like a freaking superstar with Joe Flacco at quarterback. Yeah. Elijah Moore, people are asking no, no targets for Elijah Moore. He was tweeting about it last night, a little uh-huh. frustration. But, hey, when you only complete 10 passes, you know, there's not a lot of footballs to go around. But the Jets have playmakers, man. They're, they're good up front. And uh, uh, Sauce was absolutely incredible yesterday. Who was it? Our friend of the show. Uh, what's his name? Will Parkinson? The Jets guy? Yes. Uh, he had a tweet. I can't find it right now. That was like 60-something for 67% of the Jets' production on offense is from players 23 or under. The league average is like 20-something percent. Like, the Jets have assembled this group of young guys on both sides of the ball, to be honest. And it's working at the moment. Yeah, it's great. They're doing well. Congrats to the Jets. Congrats to Jets fans. They're playing well. Both, they they both tweet New you Yorks. to remind you a lot. The New York, it's, it's, everything's looking up for the new for New Jersey, for you know the Meadowlands. Yeah, the the whole the whole New Jersey scene tearing it up right now. Giants and Jets. No, no house advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning two hundred fifty thousand plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day you can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks bet on up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league including the nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar so sign up now use the promo code pffnfl at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to 25 dollars. make sure to check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined it's not just how you play but also where you play so pff nfl that's your promo code at nohouseadvantage.com uh last one o'clock afc east game minnesota vikings 24 miami dolphins 16 skylar thompson gets the start for the dolphins he ends up getting hurt after 13 pass attempts teddy bridgewater comes in dolphins throw for 418 yards in this one sam at about nine yards per attempt Mm. doesn't matter they only scored 16 points vikings workmanlike on both sides of the ball some timely turnovers yeah some timely sacks vikings win 24 to 16 incredible turnover for harrison smith where the ball bounces then two separate vikings harrison smith and eric kendricks i think both dive for the ball both actually got perfectly solid two hands under it at the same time, like from either end of the football. So they were like each holding the football from different sides as they fell to the ground in a dive. It then like bounced up in the air, ricocheted off helmets and pads and stuff. And then Harrison Smith ends, ends up coming up with it. Insane play uh, for the bounce of a ball. Remember earlier in the season, uh, Miami played Buffalo, right? And there was the big thing made of the temperature in Miami. Insane heat, freaky things are happening. The bills are dropping like flies, cramp, heat stroke, all this kind of stuff. They had a they had thermometers on the sideline because remember Miami's Miami have rigged it <laughs> so that their sideline is in the shade and the opposition's is not 
uh, true home field advantage in Miami. So they had thermometers on the sideline for this game that showed there was a 30-degree difference wow. between Miami's sideline and the opposition sideline. So that in itself is impressive. But the 30 degrees in question were around 90 for Miami's sideline and like 122 on the Vikings' sideline. So not only is it a 30-degree difference, but the 30 degrees is taking you up to like a melting 122 Fahrenheit. Just absurd. Like, aside from anything else, it's October the 16th yesterday, and it's 122 in the Vikings, you know, on the Vikings' sideline. Kevin O'Connell, didn't they get their own uh, cooling benches or something like that? They brought their own benches. I, I thought that's know. where you were going with this story. I don't know how much a, a cool ass is doing you in 122-degree heat. They had they, they brought their own benches. I would as well. Minnesota. And I just I glanced at a, a whole story. They were, you know, practicing this week in, like, hoodies and stuff like that. Like, oh, let's get really hot. Uh, it's like, And they were drinking Gatorade every 15 minutes. Like, they were preparing for this thing. I mean, as an Irishman, 122 degrees heat is cruel and unusual punishment it yeah. just shouldn't be allowed you it's know weird. if we're going to call off games for lightning and stuff i don't want any part of 122 degree heat the old artificial turf stadiums used to get up to that well know, they were like yeah especially like in the heat. midwest like more in vegas the, yeah yeah the asphalt just radiates the heat and you end up baking yeah vegas at least it's a dry heat yeah, but that doesn't help. So that was the closest the E-Type ever got to just like exploding with the heat is we got onto the uh, the baking asphalt of Vegas and the, you could watch the temperature gauges go. Yeah. So anyway, there was, a, there was a game a couple of years ago when uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's Bucks a couple of years ago. Um, I think he threw for like 400 yards and they scored three points. It was some sort of like NFL record where the stats were incredible and there was just no points attached to it. They, I think it was against the Bears 2018. That's what this feels like right here, where the Dolphins are creating some chunk plays. They're in, they've got a third and two, Teddy Bridgewater. I think he gets stepped on and like stumbles yeah. and recovers for a sack. I mean, it's just Bridgewater got sacked five times. Skylar Thompson got sacked once. It was just key third down sacks. And like you said, you know, bounce of the ball, two, two interceptions for Teddy Bridgewater there. And the, you know, the Dolphins just couldn't score because you have Tyree Kill remains uncoverable. Jalen Waddell. I mean, again, 177 yards for Tyreek Hill, 129 for Waddle. Of course, his drop you know, led to one of the interceptions before the half. Mike Gesicki, 69 yards, and he found the end zone twice. But not enough points, obviously, for the Dolphins, despite all those yards. Elite uh, day from Patrick Peterson, which we should mention, because Patrick Peterson doesn't like PFF, because we always say that he gives up catches when he gives up catches. He, he disputes these things, you know? Clip it out. Send it to him. His good grade? No, the fact that you said he had a good grade. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah they caught Teddy in a little uh, trap coverage there at the end for the interception. Zadarius Smith with an elite uh, day rushing the passer for the Vikings, coincidentally coming against Miami's offensive line. So you remember last week, it was like Brandon Shell left tackle, looked like he'd never taken a pass set there before, and you're like, okay, anything is better than this. Well, they gave that a shot. They tested it, you know? So Brandon Shell went back to right tackle, where he actually played reasonably well. These things better. Being, these things being relative, Fair you know, reasonably relative. well. His grade is 60 as a pass blocker. Uh, but for him, you know, it's, been, it's fine. The problem is that, that in order to make that happen, that necessitated a switch to left tackle from Greg Little, who'd been playing badly at right tackle. 
Greg Little gave up nine pressures, had 10 more passing or pass protection losses that didn't even get a chance to become pressure, uh, and had a pass blocking grade of one and a half. Yeah, three sacks in there. And you mentioned Miles Garrett winning 30% of his rushes. Uh, Greg Little lost 30% of his yeah, pass block. Which is an astronomical volume. So when I'm, and when I'm si- sitting here searching for answers, look, the offensive line doesn't literally show up on every single play, right? There are, like I just said, Greg Little has one of the worst performances we've seen in a while. And of the 60 dropbacks, 40, 40 of them are pretty clean, right? Because you just don't lose every single time. Well, you don't. So that's but also, you create, think, like you, it, it's not going to affect every single pass. But also think of the volume of passes that are simply the nature of them essentially precludes pressure. No, no, I understand that. I'm just trying to make the point. Like even with a bad offensive line, you can still put up 400 passing yards. I'm saying in must pass situations and all that stuff, it's tough to protect them. And that and that was the key to the difference. Darius yeah, Smith, I, and and that's why going back to the Browns. The Browns don't have enough defensive linemen to take advantage of when the other team has a weakness. When we talk about going through the season and war of attrition and all that stuff, the Vikings feel like they've got pass rushers now enough to maybe take advantage of a depleted Miami offensive line and make plays when they need to on third down. That's what happened in this game. Do you have a quick uh, like true pass set filter on ultimate? Because I would imagine Greg Little's true pass set loss rate is like this might 60%. Be, it might be on premium already. Let me see. I don't think any of the games are up there yet. No, they're not. No, I don't have a quick filter for it. Because I would imagine like his, his I could, but overall, I don't want to get out of my screen here. Uh, it would be a real shame. His yeah. overall loss rate is like a third. I would imagine his true pass set loss rate is up over 50%. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. Credit the Vikings. And, and, you know, even offensively, you know, Kirk Cousins did his usual, didn't miss a ton of throws. Uh, Justin Jefferson had 107 of the 175 receiving yards. He just looked fast again. Kirk Cousins had one of these weird games where he had a couple of nice touchdown drives where he played really well, and then almost everything else was miserable. Yeah. It was a weird game, man. Eric, Eric, the, the late Dr. Eric Eager. Yeah. Um, referred to still alive yeah just not at pff dead from P- dead to pff um he referred to kirk cousins as what was it weirdly clumpy i think was the term that he used on twitter yesterday which i think somehow if if I, if you just gave that descriptor if i was to use the term weirdly clumpy as a quarterback who would that who would you say that was wouldn't you pick kirk cousins wouldn't it just make sense Weirdly clumpy. Like he was referring to it as a data thing. You know, like Kirk Cousins is just like a weirdly clumpy statistical quarterback. Oh, I thought he was describing his... No, uh, no, no, but that's what I mean. So he was referring to it as, as a data thing. That like he... It's... Tough to it all him. ends up in this, in this like nice flat line, you know, normal range, but it's weirdly clumpy the way he plays as a quarterback. To get there, yeah, Statistically. Yeah. Gotcha. But it I just struck me that if, if that descriptor somehow perfectly sums up Kirk Cousins, he's just... The term weirdly, weirdly clumpy. clumpy. Yeah. It's him. It just is. Did you see him? They've made it a thing now, the Vikings, where like all the iced out guys on the team give Kirk Cousins their chains to wear after the game. So he's like decked out in these giant blingy chains, you know? Love it. He I, I it. saw the before and after picture that was going like we had one week on the plane. one versus week six. Yeah. So Christian Darasaw gave him his one wherever it was last week, the two, two weeks ago or whatever. Now it's become a thing. So he's on the plane with all these like giant chains now, like five or six of them, with the T-shirt tucked into the pants, you know, otherwise pure business for, for Kirk. 
but with all the iced out chains. It's just pretty funny juxtaposition. Winning's fun, man. Winning's fun. I'm sure it is. I heard he calls Christian Darasaw the crime dog, CD. Crime dog, Fred McGriff. Hmm. 500 home run hitter. Okay. Yeah. Relatable. Very relatable. Right there. Hey, Vikings move to 5-1. and one. Impressive win for the NFC North against the AFC East. Sort of. Um, and this isn't even, like, Kevin O'Connell is kind of talking about all the things that the Vikings still have to work on. Like, I think he's aware that another team for whom, all right, we're winning, and this is great, and it gives us the breathing room to fix a lot of things, but there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Yeah, they're not as ugly winny as the uh, Giants. Ugly winny. Uh, ugly winny. But there's, you know, there's a few in there. Yeah. There's a few in but there. But, I mean, the important thing is the winning for both teams. Like, the Giants are keeping themselves in a position where, actually, the longer this goes on, maybe they do feature at the end of the season. And the Vikings, particularly as Green Bay are struggling, are actually putting themselves in position to win that division. All right, Pittsburgh Steelers 20, Tampa Bay Bucks 18. So the Jets upset the Packers. This is a huge upset. Steelers win 20-18 against the Bucks with an absolutely depleted secondary. Three, mm. four out of five starters in the secondary hurt. TJ Watt, of course, has been out for a while. And the Bucks just could not do anything offensively. Just not great overall for Tampa Bay. An impressive outing for the Steelers. They weren't doing much offensively either. Kenny Pickett gets hurt, gets absolutely popped by Devin White, who had... Um, I don't know what his grade is. I'm not even looking. But, you know, watching the game, he's flying around. He did make a lot of big plays, you know, Devin White-type plays that people get excited about. He injures Kenny Pickett. Mitchell Trubisky comes in, and it was essentially two huge third-down conversions at the end of the game and a great touchdown pass. You know, Chase Claypool. It was just the Chase Claypool show in the uh, at the end of the game here. So Steelers win 20-18 to to move to 2-4. and four. This ranks in the top half of Devin White game grades for the season. Was it good? Uh, 54. What? Yeah, I didn't see all the bad ones. This, I'm Devin saying White, I see the good. Yeah, he's a great blitzer. He gets in there. He really is. Like, yeah. okay. He moves fast. He blitzes a lot in part because he's so bad in coverage that they try and get him the hell out of that, you know, as much as humanly possible. But God, he really is good as a blitzer. Like. Yeah. It is very, very hard to block that guy with a running back. There are few, if any, off-the-ball linebackers now, if we're assuming Micah Parsons is a defensive end. There might not be a single linebacker in the NFL better than he is at getting through a running back on his way to the quarterback, yep. which is a valuable skill. It might not be as valuable as being able to cover and tackle and play in the open space and all those kinds of things. Um, like somebody was asking... You know, where, where are these negative plays for Devin White? If you watch almost any big play that goes against Tampa Bay, so the defense generally, Devin White is usually somewhere at the heart of it. Now, you might have to work a little bit to find out where, as in he may have just sort of run in the general direction of the play and then found it five yards overrunning. You know, the play cuts back inside him and he's just standing there watching it. But you'll usually find a fairly critical mistake from Devin White somewhere in that play, you know? And those are the things that are getting captured in the grade that aren't getting captured elsewhere and are not being offset by how good he is as a blitzer. I feel like we explain this every week. but Yeah, it could be its own explain the grade segment. Like every week it's just the Devin White grade and then somebody else. Um, This was – so I was trying to work out in this game. Every year there are games where it makes no freaking sense that one team beats the other. And it just happens because this is the NFL. And on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. I was trying to work out if this is one of those games – or 
if this is like alarm bells time and this is the sort of the game for Tampa Bay that Green Bay's loss to the Giants was, you know, a, a true uh-oh moment that things are not well because we've been making a lot of a lot of excuses for Tampa Bay based largely off preseason um, priors and the fact that they've been dealing with a lot of injuries in the offensive line and the receiving core and Tom Brady's history of, you know, eventually this will come good. You can't make that many excuses this time around, particularly when you focus on who the hell was out there on defense for the Steelers and the Bucs still couldn't get anything going. Yeah, I think it's alarm time for the Bucs, honestly. I mean, credit the Steelers. They, they played hard. I thought the broadcast did a good job of highlighting they were embarrassed last week by the Buffalo Bills. Mike Tomlin, look, he's still a good coach. Sure. Still a good motivational coach. And it was probably unlikely they would be embarrassed back-to-back weeks. But it was setting up like they should because all the all the Steelers DBs were out. And it felt like one of those games where the the Bucks should have been, you know, attacking, right? Attacking down the field, right? This was you know, don't not not saying don't run the ball ever, but basically say, okay, Brady, Godwin's healthy, and Mike Evans is out there, and Russell Gage is out there. These are your guys. Go out there and attack down the field. And you didn't see that. Brady was uneasy in the pocket. He probably doesn't need to be other than Luke Gadecki at left guard, which who does get whooped quite a bit. But he's rushing through everything. And this this is like what I said about with Rodgers. Brady's going to finish with three big-time throws. He had two incredible seam routes to Chris Godwin and one to Kate Otten, the rookie tight end. Three big-time throws. Outside of that, there were some easy misses. He was low on a bunch of stuff. And just... The, the quote-unquote easy stuff, you know, just your your 10-yard gains, your 15-yard gains, just not there. That, that, not that that's easy. I'm just saying the, the intermediate game for the box, just not there. And then they did get into the red zone a ton, and the red zone game is horrible. Whether, even when Julio Jones was here back in week one, you know, the Steelers were just putting two guys on top of Mike Evans, and I, I think they're missing Gronk. And I know that sounds crazy. It's like, okay, yeah, you're missing the Hall of Fame tight end. But you don't have another red zone weapon to trust. Brady did get one in there to Russell Gage. He, a little bit low, but he dropped it. Could have been the the one touchdown there. And then all that said, again, the Steelers make some big plays to to go up eight. The Bucks drive down, score a touchdown, have a two-point conversion opportunity. And Devin Bush, man, Devin Bush peels off his coverage, makes a great play to break up the two-point conversion to Chris Godwin. But I think this is... Brady being rushed in the pocket, which he's done at times throughout his career, either when he doesn't trust his protection or whatever it might be, or just because he's 45, looking a little rushed in the pocket, where this felt like one of those games where you just, oversimplifying, you start chucking it down the field. Even if they're playing too high, there are opportunities to give your receivers chances to, you know, to make plays. And the running game, Leonard Fournette's going nowhere. The Steelers did a good job up front against the run outside of a couple runs. I, I think it's an issue for the Bucs in their passing offense right now that they didn't attack the Steelers. And by the way, the Steelers' backups, guys like Arthur Millette, like they've played decent football. Quincy Wilson, like they're not, they're not like straight off the street, but those are guys that absolutely the Bucs should have dominated. Yes. And they didn't. Yeah, so that's an, I think that's an issue for the Bucs in the NFC. I We just need to take a minute and focus on, so Kenny Pickett, not playing tremendously well in the game anyway, gets knocked out of the game, Mitchell Trubisky comes in, you're like, okay, surely now is the time where 
Tom Brady and the Bucks kick on over, you know, get the get the lead, end up running away with it. And then Bisky just goes out there delivering dagger after dagger in high leveraged down and distance situations. Gets a touchdown, which is a nice play into a, you know, reasonably tight window and then just kept hitting kept hitting third downs, third and long to keep Brady on the bench and, and ice this thing. I mean, and that and that still felt inevitable. As great as the Steelers played in the secondary, right? It's like, okay, you got Brady in a comeback opportunity if yeah. you get him the ball. He just keeps chewing the clock. Yes. Like third uh, 3 minutes and 7 seconds left, third and 15. Bisky finds a guy, gets the keeps the drive going. A minute later cuz we got three more downs. Uh, 2 minutes and 15 on the clock, third and 11. Ends up escaping the pocket, finding a back shoulder throw. Was that Devin White in coverage? I think it might have been. No, it wasn't. It was, Le- it was Levante David. Um, but anyway, back shoulder ends up hitting the guy down the sideline, keeps the drive alive. Like Mitchell Trubisky just kept finding, in particular, Chase Claypool in these massively high leverage down and distance situations and keeping the daggers hitting that Bucks defense. Which, by the way, the Bucks defense has kind of collapsed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So here's... Here's an example. Devin White, uh, the first touchdown, Kenny Pickett's first touchdown pass. Busted coverage to Najee Harris. Almost certainly should have been Devin White in coverage. He's, he just looks a little lost. He doesn't exactly blitz. He doesn't really cover anybody. And it's wide open. And most people don't associate that with, oh, there's Devin White, blown coverage. That was him. He was supposed to cover mm-hmm. Najee Harris. Najee Harris is wide open. Nobody's near him. So those are the plays. Right, doesn't show up in the stat sheet except ours. Um, it shows up as a touchdown surrendered, but like it's it's a complete busted coverage. You allowed an easy touchdown, so those are the types of plays. Uh, anyway, give credit to the Steelers, man, and Trubisky and the Tr- Bisk. Great relief appearance. Steelers played great up front as far as their run defense goes. All of them. Cameron Hayward, another huge game, and and again, I think the the Bucks offensive line is interesting because they. Um, you could see how quickly Brady wants to get rid of the ball. A couple of red zone passes. As soon as he hits the top of his drop, he's getting rid of it. And has been all season. Yes, and has been all season. Um, it's one hole on the offensive line. It's Gadecki at left guard. Isn't um, Isn't that how he settled on that? Oh, Gadecki. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. That's what he said. It's all right. Gadecki. I don't care. Not playing like a Gadecki right now. 34 pass blocking grade. Um, but it's almost like Brady's feeling like, oh, man, I got... I got a left guard issue. Got to yeah. get rid of the ball. And he does. And and there was a couple passes where Steelers tip uh, Robert Spillane tips a pass that could have been a touchdown. I mean, they're they're getting their hand. Uh, Steelers got their hands on a couple passes. This is why, by the way, you know, a lot of you're like, what's wrong with the Bucks? And the obvious, the immediate answer for a lot of people is, well, maybe Brady's just done. He's 45. You know, he's dealing with Giselle issues. Maybe, maybe this is just the time. The thing that makes me think that that is not true is. We've gone through this part of the season. He does have what is an obvious issue at left guard and Gadecki. Um, the other four-fifths of that offensive line have been fine, but Brady still has the fastest average time to throw in the NFL uh, despite all of these receiver problems we've been talking about. This revolving door of guys that haven't been healthy each week is different. He's hitting the top of his drop. He's getting rid of the ball really quickly. We haven't charged him for a single pressure this season. I hadn't checked this game, but heading into this game, we hadn't charged him for a single pressure of any description as being the quarterback's fault. Brady is doing that, essentially executing the offense from a kind of process standpoint, let's say flawlessly. And, you know, he's 
dropping back, getting rid of the ball really quickly, getting it to the right place, broadly speaking, and not at fault for pressure or for those things collapsing around him, despite knowing he has a problem on the offensive line for the first time in years and having a complete revolving door at receiver. Like, his part of this, I think, is still functioning at a really high level. It's just that for the first time in a while, you got a, a problem on the offensive line, and the the sum of this is just not functioning as much as it did. Yeah, I mean, at some point, they just have to, in their 2020 season, remember when Brady first shows up with Bruce Arians, it's like, that's not a mesh. You know, yeah. Brady likes to get rid of the ball quickly. And before you know it, he's got he's throwing the ball down the field like crazy, and they're aggressive and aggressive. And then it meshed with with Leftwich and a little bit more, where you had this combination of quick passing game plus you're taking those downfield shots. The downfield shots aren't there. I mentioned there was a couple seam routes in there, but there's just not enough big play opportunities to Mike Evans. Even in this game, last week, Scotty Miller they tried to hit a couple deep balls to Scotty Miller. There was none of that in this game. When it's like test the Steelers secondary, test these guys who are straight off the practice squad. Do something to create some communica- communication problems or whatever it is. You don't – I would just mm, take Fournette out of the game and put it in their hands to throw it around. Remember the idea that you had of, of the backup quarterback house, you know, where all the quarterbacks would just yes. live and then you could dial them up and say, hey, I need a backup. And one of them would just randomly get drawn out of the pot and, you you know, you get the backup quarterback from the house. I think that there is there should be this uh, similar house for wide receivers – who don't have the chemistry with their quarterbacks. There's just something off, right? And you can't really put your finger on why, but they're always at the heart of every bad play that happens. Scotty Miller and Tom Brady, it just doesn't work. There's something wrong there, and Brady needs somebody else. It doesn't really matter who. So what I think is you throw somebody all those... House. Yeah, what I think is you throw all those guys in the house, and then you can just trade them, you know? So let's say Tom Brady, straight swap, Scotty Miller for Miko Hardman. Who says no? You know? Miko Hardman... Might be a great athlete, but he's somehow always at the heart of every missed throw Patrick Mahomes has. That's true. You know? Really? Scotty Miller. He's got some skills, but somehow every time Brady throws him the ball, something bad happens. I, I say put them all in the house, and then you just swap. You know? It's time to make a change. We, we need, we're going to get rid of our bad chemistry receiver, and we're going to see if yours is any better. I'm all for the accumulate players at a house and pull them into <laughs> NFL games idea. PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, what else do we have for 1 by, o'clock games? By the here? way, Pickett getting knocked out of the game. Is this... Right. Has anyone looked at the numbers? Is this actually happening more, or is this just a like a frequency illusion thing that all of a sudden we notice the Tua concussion deal and that quarterbacks are dropping like flies? This is the he what's got the, popped. I know, but but he went out. Skylar Thompson was a thumb, right? Somebody else got knocked out of the game yesterday. Is this a, a, a Bader Meinhof thing, or is this actually happening more? No, I think it's probably somewhat normal. We get QB injuries. Guys get hit. They come out. All right. I think it's on pace. Okay. That's yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. No data to back me up whatsoever. Cool. Great. Indianapolis Colts 34, Jacksonville Jaguars 27. Colts move to 3-2-1. Jaguars down to 2-4. Third straight loss for the Jags. Another weird game, just like when you just look at the box score and the, the game flow and the feel and all that stuff. Matt Ryan with 58 pass attempts. No sacks in there. 
right? I mean, just one week after the protection has been an absolute disaster. The Jags have some exciting pass rushers. Uh, Matt Ryan, so he's chucking it around the yard. Game-winning touchdown to Alec Pierce late when they're in field goal range. That was a huge play. So the Colts have, they're throwing the ball around like crazy. Meanwhile, the Jags run for 243, including a 61-yard touchdown by Jermichael uh, Hasty. I mean, another Another team that just the Jags, they've got Jamal Agnew. They've got Hasty, who's really fast. I thought he was going to be a guy with the Niners because he's fast and they just, you know, create space. And so they, you know, the Jags create all these yards on the ground. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and then Trevor Lawrence goes 20 for 22. So he has two incompletions for 165. And he gets sacked four times. He had more sacks than incompletions. Just a lot of uh, weird numbers coming out of this game. What do you think? Colts really game? were. And. They're even independent of the one specific to the game, there's a bunch of weird trend numbers in this this matchup as well. Uh, Jacksonville is now up to 14 straight division road losses. Wow. And remember what division this in is. The AFC South. The Texans are in this division, and Jacksonville has lost 14 straight a road division games. The Colts now haven't had a halftime lead for eight straight games. The This was also the first game of the season where the Colts' defense has had allowed points. So the Colts generally have sucked for the first, like, three quarters, certainly the first half of games, and then don't allow any points in the, in the fourth quarter. Remember, they played the Chiefs. Like, the Colts' defense just shuts down in the fourth quarter and then allows their offense to come back and rescue a couple of games. The Colts are the weirdest team in the NFL. They, they kind of are, huh? They, they're supposed to be... Uh... Matt Ryan safe. Yeah. Right? They're not at all. No. You also have, uh, was it Hanson? What did Trayvon Walker get for a penalty? It was third and 12. I, I think it was, uh, it was a third quarter. I think roughing it was roughing or Hanson passer, face. but it was a head, but with the, a hand to the head thing. Walker did get a little bit of pressure in this one, but um, another key penalty for him that kept a drive alive for the Colts. Um, Colts did a little bit better job pass protecting, but it was, you know, Matt Ryan and just getting rid of the ball and, Creating some big plays in this one. The the Alec Pierce touchdown, fascinating play there, right? It's third and 13 and 23 seconds left. Colts are at the edge of field goal range. So they're at the 32-yard line. So they're, they're down one. You have a game-winning field goal attempt, but it's one-on-one coverage on the outside. Matt Ryan puts it up. Alec Pierce, great job holding off the DB for the game-winning touchdown. Pretty uh, aggressive play call there by the Colts. Uh, I mentioned Ryan had not been sacked, but that was, you know, not the trend. He did get hit on the play. Not the trend in recent weeks. A sack basically takes you out of field goal range and might lose the game for you. But instead, aggressive play call, great throw by Matt Ryan, best throw of the day, and they get the game-winning touchdown there. Colts are now rotating in Dennis Kelly at left tackle because Bernard Ryman has looked bad shall we say, um, Dennis Kelly should be a starter on this offensive line. And I honestly don't even care where. I mean, he's an upgrade over both tackle spots at this point. Okay, maybe you want to stick with the rookie because he's young and there's upside there, but Dennis Kelly is a starting offensive lineman for this team, given what we've seen from their tackle play so far during the season. Yeah, Ryman started a couple games here and had a couple rough outings. That uh, Thursday night football game, that was Thursday night? No. Whatever game against the Browns. 
Wasn't uh, it? it was wasn't it Broncos? It was that Broncos. I'm, I can't even read. Of it, was course, that the Bron- it was that It was the Broncos game two weeks ago. Yes. Like I can't even read. He had some issues there. The four penalties, forty three pass blocking grade, thirty five pass blocking grade yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I don't. Again, so the from a Jaguars perspective, they've got these like really nice auxiliary pieces, right? You've got a uh, some speed playmakers and all that stuff, but the the core is. Is just not getting it all, not getting it done consistently. All that said, you know they put points on the board at least. Jelani Woods with another touchdown, isolated him outside wide. Where again he just looked like you know he looked like a kid playing out of his age range of you know they were the the Jags defenders were desperately screaming pass offensive pass interference push off you know he really just jumped up and caught it's like he's just he's just bigger and stronger than you are he's just out here sunning you and there's nothing you can do about it. It's genuinely like that picture we posted of me, like a foot and a half shorter than the tight end I'm trying to cover in the end zone. You just, there's nothing you can do about it. He's just bigger than you are. Then they're just finding him and going, all right, I'm just put the ball up in the air, and he wins because he's bigger and stronger, and you don't. Unlucky. Um, yes. So they lined him out wide, and uh, it's smart. Give it to the big monster on the outside. Give him opportunities. I, I just want to go back to this Jags offense for a minute here because early in the season – Christian Kirk, right? The guy who made wide receiver one money mm-hmm. was putting up some yards. And if you looked at those yards, you would just say, look, they're they're finding a way to get the ball into Christian Kirk's hands, yeah. which is good, which is good footballing, right? I mean, that's 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 great. And, and his contract doesn't matter right now. But early in the year, I feel like they were scheming stuff up for Kirk. He also had a big garbage time uh gain against the Eagles. But the reason why we didn't like him for $18 million, it's like he's not the guy that's going to go win one-on-ones all the time. He's not a dominant receiver. He's, he's fast, and he's, he's a pretty good receiver, and you could scheme it up for him. And in this one, they you know, he's second man through on a rollout for a touchdown, and they schemed up a touchdown. Four catches for 24 yards, though, overall with Kirk, including that score. Are they just missing him? Marvin Jones was out in this game, too, but... Are they just missing that guy, right? That that I've wanted Trevor Lawrence to have an Allen Robinson type. And I know Allen Robinson didn't do anything until this week either, but a guy that you could just trust to throw it up to. Because Lawrence has some aggressiveness to as a game that I need, you know, once again, needs to be a part of it. And I don't think they – Marvin Jones gets that out of him sometimes. I'm just not seeing that. I know he's 20 for 22, but just don't have that explosive passing attack because you don't have that one-on-one guy. In Jacksonville, yeah, I mean that—that that, that is the risk of paying a guy like that that much money. Is that he has a very specific role in the offense, and if that role isn't there in certain games, you're, there's nothing there. You know, he doesn't the, the say what you want about the amount of money and the way that the Raiders' offense is functioning right now, but Devonte Adams can win from any alignment in any capacity, and that's useful because even if a team takes something away, in theory, you can adjust. You change the role and get him open anyway. You can't necessarily do that with guys like Christian Kirk. Now, the Raiders don't appear to be doing that anyway, so that's his own problem. But it, you just have more options with guys like that. All right, EJ Speed, by the way, very Titans-like for the Colts here. Big play. Fourth down stop on an option. Hmm. Showing good speed, linebacker, by EJ. Good speed uh, from Speed. Good speed. Um, good job by the Colts, man. They moved to 3-2-1. and one. And uh, remain one of the weirdest teams in the league. I love weird teams. It's great. Uh, the one other 1 o'clock game. That division must look ridiculous right now. What are the standings? 3-2-1, three, 3-2. Two, and one, three and two. 
you know, three and two Titans, three, two and one Colts, <laughs> two and four Jags, and whatever the Texans are. Whatever one the Texans are. One, three and one. Yep. That's it. Yeah, three and two with a commanding lead in the division. The ties mess with your mess with your head a little bit, right? You got to do a lot of maths there. So, uh, Atlanta Falcons, another one of the upsets this week. Huge upset. Falcons 28, 49ers 14. Falcons got up early, and uh, Niners battled back. It was 14-0 Falcons, including a fumble return by, was initially by A.J. Terrell, who also fumbled in the end zone before Jalen Hawkins recovered it. Go up 14-0. Niners battled back to make it 14-0 on the back of a couple Brandon Ayuk touchdowns. But Falcons stood strong, man. Huge drive before the half to go up 21-14 and that was it as far as scoring in the second half of the Niners and the Falcons just scored one other touchdown to make it 24 28-14 in the third quarter and that was the end of the scoring good job by the Falcons moving to three and three Niners of course fall to three and three yeah Kyle Shanahan is an unquestionably great coach you know tin cup all the stuff we talked about him the success he's had there are some very weird stats and data points associated with Shanahan though and one of them um, I never figured out how you pronounce this guy's second name, but Josh Dubow, I believe, uh, an AP guy, tweeted yesterday that the 49ers are now 0-26 under Kyle Shanahan when trailing by more than four points after three quarters. The only other teams without a win in that scenario since Shanahan arrived in San Francisco are Washington, who are 0-38, the Lions, also 0-38, and the Browns, who are 0-34-1. Like, for the success that Shanahan has had, and for as good as his teams have been, and as potent as that offense can be, there's really no reason that that is, well, there shouldn't be a reason that that is true. And that's quite a lot of losses to attribute to just statistical weirdness. You know, it's a lot of times to flip yeah. tails in a row. Yeah, it is odd, man. I mean, in, in Garoppolo, in small sample sizes, has been pretty good in comeback opportunities, but... A lot of them are down three, you're down two, right? You're leading to game-winning field goals. So, yeah, you. it kind of makes sense. I mean, not that extreme, but it makes sense if you were describing, hey, Kyle Shanahan team's not great at making comebacks. But Yeah, but we're not asking for a lot here, you know? We've got a lot of time to one. work for and a, lot, and a small amount of points to overhaul. So we've said weird a lot, but um, the Falcons run the ball 40 times and Marcus Mariota finishes 13 of 14 passing. For a buck twenty nine and two scores, a couple sacks in there as well. So, the, I mean the the teams that are winning, we'll say we'll say winning ugly, the Falcons wow. and the disrespect. Okay, we'll just say winning in different ways. Okay, the Falcons, the Giants. I mean they're they're finding some extremes. Like they're the Giants are tapping into what they have on their roster. I the Falcons are absolutely tapping into what they have on yeah. their roster. This is evidence. This game was evidence of two things to me. Number one that this Atlanta offense is a pain in the ass for any team in the NFL to contend with, to, to match up with. It's a problem. It's difficult because of the playmakers that they have. And it was another game where Marcus Mariota, like, okay, he's not going to put up um, mind-blowing passing stats. But on the other hand, he's a really high-level rushing threat in addition to the matchup problem players they have on the outside. That makes it really hard to stop. What, one of the plays of the game... Third and 12, about three minutes left in the half. Mariota, I think it was third and 12, third and long, picks up a uh, first down with a scramble to keep that drive alive. Ended up being a six-plus-minute drive just before the half to put up what ended up being the game-winning score 
for the Falcons. But that's what we're talking about, right? Like a, a key scramble here, a key run there. Yeah. And and that's what's keeping things alive for the and Falcons there. The second thing I think it's evidence of is that defense, elite shutdown defense just doesn't exist. Like we, we're fresh off the bank of saying the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL. They're playing lights out. This is a suffocating group. They're the... They're, they're like they're going to be the reason this team is a Super Bowl contender again. It, it doesn't work. I just don't think that functions in the NFL anymore. Defense, elite defenses are great, and they can show up every now and again, and they can make a difference in individual games. But they can also get wrecked by the Falcons. Like it's not, it's not what it used to be. You know, like yeah. you don't, you don't just show up with the eighty-five Bears and shut everybody down every single week. It's just not possible in today's NFL anymore, unless maybe. You assemble one of those all-time great Legion of Boom, you know, Denver defenses of what it was, 2015. You need that to happen for, you, for this to be a thing. And if, you, if that doesn't, you're going to have a good defense some weeks. You're going to have a defense that's not as good the next week. It just, it, it's at the mercy of how well the offense executes. Yeah, and so, yeah, the Niners, they still look like a really good defense. That Yeah, the Falcons took it to them at the run game. They took it to them with... Uh, a couple of those key plays by Mariota. And that's like how you want to win with Mariota. You know, like season grade is average. It's season grade for Mariota is going to be similar to what he's had in uh, in previous years. But I like that the Falcons, they tapped into his uh, rushing ability, the you know, uh, zone keeper for, for a touchdown, but tapping into his rushing ability in the run game a little bit, throwing extra tight ends out there and just, you know, they got Kyle Pitts in the end zone too. That's they also did. that's also only the after they got Michael Pruitt in the end zone. Yeah, early in the game, looks like a monster in the red zone right now. Pruitt. <laughs> early in the game, I was like, this has to be a troll at this point. Like, we can get Michael Pruitt in the end zone, but we can't get Kyle Pitts or Julio Jones before him into the end zone. Like, what is happening in Atlanta? And then eventually, later on, we finally did get the Kyle Pitts touchdown we've been looking for. This is kind of a rare game for the Niners to get shut down like this too. So the Falcons' defense. Stepped up big time. When the the Niners, a lot of the Niners' numbers were like with Kittle, without Kittle. This guy's hurt. That guy's hurt. Garoppolo's been hurt. Kittle, Ayuk, and Samuel all out there, and they all got theirs. Like they all graded well. They all moved the chains. And uh, Garoppolo had a few big time throws, which he doesn't normally have. Threw some into coverage, but that usually adds up to a lot more points for the Niners. And um, I think the the game flow kind of got out of hand for them too. They like to run the ball a little bit more than they did. Only 16 carries for 50 yards for all of their runners, including Garoppolo. That's just uh, not what Shanahan wants to do offensively. Yeah, and like so you kind of look at the box score and you're like, ah, Garoppolo, two interceptions, that's a problem. Like the first one, okay, it was bad in that it was into triple coverage. It was also, there was nine seconds on the clock before the half. Like, Oh, I think that was fine. You had to heave something up, you know. That was fine. Um, the second one was kind of off the hands of his receiver. It was thrown into a tight spot that was ugly and the contact meant it bounced up into the guy behind them. But like, these were not egregious, you know, hideous mistakes from Garoppolo that you would like, okay, that explains uh, the lack of offense from the 49ers. They were, they just didn't get an awful lot going. Second round pick for the Falcons, Arnold Ebicady, best game so far as a pro 81 grade looked really good run game. Got some, some pretty good pass rushes in there as well. Again, some pressure on the quarterback. So good to see, Good to see one of my guys looking good. Model guy? Uh, Yeah, model liked him, of course, before accounting for age. He's a little old. Drake Jackson had a a nice game and a few snaps. Speaking of your guys. A couple of second-round picks there, pass rushes. I think that's all the 1 o'clock games. Okay. 
Los Angeles Rams 24, Carolina Panthers 10. Hmm. This game happened. Yeah. Takeaways? <laughs> I think this game deserves awkward silence. Okay. All right. We need a minute of awkward. No, not a whole minute of awkward silence. No. Rams took care of business, man. They, I mean, Matthew Stafford throws a pick six. That was the one touchdown for the Panthers. Can you and, imagine uh, what the narrative would be on Stafford if they hadn't won the Super Bowl last year? Because this is like full Detroit Stafford. It right down to like it's other people's fault, you know? Because that was always the it's like, blame yeah. the offensive line, right? Yes, the offensive line's a problem. On the other hand, Stafford's He's got no run game. Involved the defense quite a lot. The uh, Joseph Dopoom got carted off, starting left tackle for the Rams. They're making a bad situation even worse. I mean, they're into third and fourth string across multiple positions here. Yeah, and the, All first, that, and the first string was a problem. Yeah, and the first string did have question marks. All that said, they, they pass protected pretty well for the most part, um, but it's still an issue for the Rams. But they win because their defense is good, and the Panthers had zero shot with Phillip, P.J. Walker at quarterback. Yeah, I don't want to dump on P.J., but I mean, largely because I've already done it. But the, game, the offensive game plan... Whether or not it was the offensive game plan specifically for PJ or simply this is the offensive game plan in the new interim setup <clears throat> was like finger painting offense. Like, you know, this was a, I don't even know what level you would say this is at, but it's like this is what would happen if you allowed a child to draw up an NFL offense with a basic understanding of scheme. It's like, what if we had an entire offense that was just inside zone and then quick screens? Would I mean, that that's work? what you said. I mean, that's what the Panthers. Yeah, the Panthers' offense somehow got more simplistic than yeah, it was yeah. the first five weeks. It's insane. Um, so that that's its own thing. But obviously, the most important and interesting thing in this game was Robbie Anderson getting kicked out of it by his own team. Robbie Anderson got sent to the locker room after arguing repeatedly with his yeah. his receivers coach. Yeah. So it looks like Robbie Anderson might be on the trading block for the Rams. They've got Cam Akers who got benched or he didn't play was inactive because they're quote working through some stuff mm. end quote and i mean cam Akers for christian mccaffrey straight up who says no the panthers do but still <laughs> I panthers see- are apparently trying to get two first round picks out of christian mccaffrey i mean yeah. look kudos i stay optimistic i would also by all means but anybody giving up two first-round picks for Christian McCaffrey's contract is committing roster malpractice. Like that, that's an egregious error for any team in the NFL. The, the Rams feel like a type of team that would like a good football player like Christian McCaffrey, but I would hope that they— We don't have any first-round picks to send they for the don't. next 17 years. But I hope they also realize the offensive line issues are going to be far bigger than— just adding Christian McCaffrey to replace Cam Akers. Sounds like Cam Akers will be on the trading block coming out of this. Robbie Anderson will be on the trading block coming out of this. Now, Anderson would be interesting in that Rams offense. Sure. You just A lot of times you see teams trade with like the team that they just saw. That's all I'm saying. How do you think that does that? <laughs> if you were there and you watched him get kicked out of the game by his own team, is that a, how does that work? No, it depends because the Rams could be like, oh, the, I mean – I would be upset too if I was part of that Panthers offense. I would. I mean, I'd be he just upset. needs a nice winning. I'm just not sure I'd be, you know, yelling at my receivers. He coach. won't quit on us. We've got a better culture and environment here. We're Super Bowl champs. You know, you could talk yourself into it. Yeah. 
Uh, ben Skoranek with a 17-yard end around, and uh, we haven't talked about this enough, but they've been using say. Ben Skoranek as a fullback. Yeah. Wide receiver fullback. I mean, again, we, we I always reference back to, like, our offseason. I love just, like, six months of team building. We talk about the big names and how to construct the roster, and then it comes down to, like, the guy that the Saints brought off the practice squad picks up a 44-yard touchdown. And the Rams getting Brandon Powell, who was, like, you know, been around the league for a few years now, but like little Brandon Powell as the special teamer that they're uh, scheming up touches for, and Ben Skoranek, a receiver turned fullback for them, and scheming up touches for them and doing some cool stuff after after all this like Allen Robinson's you know king, and we're working on Ben Skoranek and uh, Brandon Powell. It's just uh, and he's got a bunch of plays where he's like decleating, you know, big high end defenders. Like he's got a play yeah. where he absolutely wrecks um, Zayvon Collins, I think. Zayvon Collins is like a 250-pound linebacker who can uh, dude, run. I am all for – I mean, the Rams have their issues offensively and all that stuff. I am all for finding players that can do just roles that they shouldn't be expected to do or multiple roles. Mm. And as poorly as Skoranek ran routes and caught the ball last year, I think I'd rather have him lead blocking. And he's just been doing well. Jet sweep. Like yeah, it's, like, it's fascinating. It's man. working. It's, it's kind of cool to see, but um, – where did Stafford end up grading here? He had the pick six in there. 60 grade. I mean, he's on pace. Last year was his best year, Stafford. Yes. He's on pace for his worst year. I mean, this is his worst graded year since 2015, but really ever. And um, I'm not expecting more 40 grades in the 40s like we had the last couple of weeks for Stafford. But, man. The Rams are another. I mean, we're we're – ticking off nfc contenders that are boned add the rams to the list the rams are screwed the packers look screwed and the bucks might be screwed that's three of the teams we expected to contend this year i mean i'm i'm smart enough to know that the last two super bowl champions also looked like the bucks the bucks and the rams had games multiple games during the season where they looked screwed yeah but the difference between the bucks then and the bucks now is there was a reason for it that made a lot of sense the first time it's like, this is a new thing. It's going to yeah. take time to gel. Like, we anticipated a slow start that year. And it was like, as long as they just get to the playoffs and have their shit fi- figured out by then, they're fine. Yeah, I don't think you can make the same argument this time. You think the Rams are in that same boat? The, I mean, the Rams are like the Packers. You can't win a Super Bowl with this current offensive line. You, you just can't. So unless something pretty significant changes, okay, they might get guys healthy, but even the healthy group was bad. So unless that changes in a major way i don't see how they can win it's interesting i think around the league you can grab a receiver you can grab a playmaker can't grab an offensive line it's really tough to grab i mean even just one lineman it's tough like who who doesn't need a lineman right now half the left tackles are hurt so um panthers will probably get the least amount of airtime the rest of the year for any team unless something changes can we make that pact sure all right, cool. Seattle Seahawks, 19. Arizona Cardinals, 9. Seahawks move to 3-3. Three and three. Cardinals move to 2-4. and four. Another odd game, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought we were going to see this explosive. I thought this was the get-right game for the Arizona offense. I don't I, think there is a get-right for this offense. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins gets them right. Is he back this week? Yes. I think he's back. Which is important because they just lost. Because Marquise Brown just got hurt. Yeah. But I thought, look, Seattle, outside of Tariq Woolen, who's awesome, another interception, uh, the next Richard Sherman, but fast. Um, wow. 
What? You're I just going to... You're just going to... Rip. Oh, Sherm's been talking about. Sherm's speed. Sherm's, Sherm's been talking about. I mean, Sherm's not that fast. Relative to Tariq Woolen. Mm. Tariq Woolen ran 23 miles an hour last week. He did. Pretty fast. Yeah. It was like a big moral victory last week. Okay, we like, lost, but at least we ran Sure, we lost and gave up 39 points, but have you seen how fast Tariq Woolen runs? So Tariq Woolen looks like one of the steals of the draft, but um, both offenses very uneven and, and not so good in this one. I, I don't want for a second to take away from Tariq Woolen's interception because it was a great play, um, but can we just point out that, that Kyler Murray threw a jump ball to a guy that was outweighed by about 45 pounds and out-heighted by, what, seven inches? Yeah. That's not a great... And by the way, the guy that's that big is just as fast as Marquise Brown. Yeah. Pretty cool. So it's like, you know, we, you talk about 50-50 balls, which are never 50-50 balls generally, unless you're throwing yeah. a Mike Evans in the end zone. True. So generally speaking, a 50-50 jump ball is like a 20% chance of actually coming off. I don't know what the chances are when you're throwing a guy that's outweighed by 45 pounds and outsized by seven inches in height and God knows what in length. But that's got to be, you know, the... The AWS, like, completion, what is the probability completion thing? It's going to be, like, single digits for that play. It's probably not factoring in the, uh, the height difference, but... I'm yeah. just saying, not the... Not the if I was going to stake my... What, let's roll the dice here. Let's go YOLO on this one. Not where I'd be throwing it. Not the way to go. Um, so, Seattle's up 12-3. to 3. We had a blocked punt. It was a blocked punt touchdown for uh, Arizona. That's, that was their scoring, man. Um, was it uh, late in the third quarter? You've got Kyler Murray as they're driving, scrambles out, picks up what would, been, would have been a first down on third down, but fumble. Of course, was it Woolen recovering that too? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a turnover machine. Mm-hmm. Fumble, I don't give credit for fumble recoveries. I give credit for the interceptions. I don't give credit for fumble recoveries. But um, yeah, every time Arizona tried to get a little something going, sacks, fumbles, negative plays. And Kyler Murray now, I mentioned it, just like the consistent, like consistent meh offense that they've had, just using yards per attempt as a proxy, it's now on the season. He was six yards per attempt. Like the consistency is incredible for the Cardinals. 5.4, 5.5, 5.3, 6.76, 5. and 6. Kyler Murray's yards per attempt mm-hmm. so far this season. Just no explosiveness to this passing offense right now yeah they're not in a good place at all and there's a new call of duty out this week so it's not getting any better oh really yeah maybe that's, uh, maybe oh, that's think, like way to firm no i know i think a bunch of people have had this joke but kevin clark was the person i saw it from that you know we think how uh we think thursday night football can only get better until you realize that it's kyle murray at the same week that a new call of duty is out oh wow that's good yeah that's really good. Um, but that's good. I mean, you get the game out of the way Thursday and then <laughs> playing through the weekend. Long weekend. Baby. Yeah. I think it, I think it no, might four affect hours him. hours of homework getting done that weekend. It's going to affect him the next week after, like, you know, a 72-hour binge fest. Cardinals fans, by the way, hate this joke. Yeah. They hate it so hard. Well, joke's on them. They're 2-4. and four. And imagine how much they hate it after the struggles of six games and being 2-4. and four. Um, Their pass rush was getting home a lot in this game. Like, they were causing Geno Smith some real problems. And the Seattle offensive line, which has actually been, you know, pretty good so far this season. They Like, the, the rookie tackles, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas have been playing reasonably well. Basically, everybody that pass blocked for the Seahawks in this game had a grade of, like, 50 or worse. Um, the Cardinals' pass rush was getting home and causing some real issues, which is why 
you know, Seattle ends up with 19 points and, and had slowed down uh, relative to what they've been doing. But despite that, you know, Gino still played reasonably well. Yeah, he was all right. Um, Kenneth Walker with some nice runs in there, you know, looking looking slippery. Looking very good. Yeah. Um, but, like, if the, my point with that being that if this is, like, the low ebb of Gino, it's still, like, it's still better than we thought it would be. This was the type of game that, like, when he was starting, I thought we'd see more of these types of games. He got sacked five times, yeah. right? Kyler got sacked six times. But Gino had um, taken those negative plays a lot in the, in the times that we had seen him play. I expected more games like this from Geno Smith. But you're right. I mean, if this is the low point, it's not, it's not a disaster. And if you look at those sacks, like, they're not – I mean, you know, all sacks are kind of a little – well, not all. A lot of sacks are kind of a little bit the quarterback's fault, even if they're not the quarterback's fault. But in basically every one of these sacks, two players are converging on him at the same time, and he's just got nowhere to go. Now, okay, you know, a guy like Tom Brady, the ball's gone anyway, or, you know, he's just not letting himself take those kind of shots. But these were not, you know, Geno Smith dithers in the pocket, takes too long, tries to make something happen that was never going to happen. These are like two guys are boxing him in. And he's got nowhere to go and ends up just going into a sack. Like, this was... I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't even phrase it in terms of took sacks. I would say he got sacked five times because their offensive line got murdered. Which was interesting because the Cardinals didn't win a ton of other reps, but when they won reps, they they finished. Um, where's Tariq Woolen's grade going to end up here? It's I mean, it's going to be really good for the game, 83, but uh, up to 72 coverage grade, like, literally getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every every couple weeks his, here so just i think excel, to me it's just accelerating to his development I, I thought he could get there at some point i really thought it might take two years yeah it's his, taking four or five weeks his coverage numbers are really good obviously the interceptions will help that um the reason he hasn't been you know we haven't been talking about him in the same breath as guys like sauce is because he also leads the league in penalties right but didn't have a penalty in this game i don't think and had the interception had the fumble recovery like he's playing better week to week the the Sherman comparisons for Woolen also show up because he is a former receiver, um, and it, it was it was interesting because I went back I had to watch some of his receiver tape to be like listen if you have a guy that's six four two oh five running four twos I like I want him at receiver like I want this guy at receiver but he was so bad at receiver that they moved him to corner and it's still nice to be an athlete at corner but like you can dominate as a receiver with that with those types of measurables but. Because he's so young at the position, that's what makes Woolen so fascinating. His Not play only is this- also, like, there's a reason he went as low as he did in the draft. Like, people are, you know, we're, we're already revisiting history and be like, how did this guy with these measurables slip to the, where was he, fifth round, fourth round? Fifth. Yeah. How did he slip this far in the draft? This is absurd. It's like, I mean, you watch the tape, and you, the tape is why he slid to that level in the, in the draft. Oh, yeah. So tape the, wasn't good. The tape made me think he's going to not be a first rounder, but somebody will take a shot in the second round. No, I, I like, I understand that, but... Yes, given the physical tools, it is a surprise that he went as low as he did because teams tend to jump on that stuff. But that kind of makes my point, which is his tape was so bad that even with those freaky athletic measurables, teams were like, yeah, no, not really. No, I know. Um, And 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 part of the tape was like busted coverages and just not just was young at the position. Yeah, and I think Seattle is probably a good team for that, for him to go there. You know, they're a team that understands how to, make the most of players with that body type and that set of physical tools. All right, let's go to uh, the game of the year. Buffalo Bills 24, Kansas City Chiefs 20. I can't believe this was a 4 p.m. game. 
How is this not a primetime game? CBS gets to lock in. CBS and Fox gets to lock in a couple games that don't get uh, pulled to primetime. They locked it in. I like it. You don't need everything in primetime. You need this in primetime. You don't need Denver, nice. Indianapolis in primetime, but you need this. You need you need every team to play on Thursday. Everybody gets a shot. Whatever, man. You complain. It was a great game. I'm just, it wasn't on primetime. We needed this in primetime. Wasn't as high scoring as their last affair, but you could feel it, man. Every every yard mattered. Every every conversion. Tony Romo knew. Ro- Romo picked the score. So it's <laughs> so not going to be high like scoring. It's, it's going to be a 24-20 game. Look, you take your shots at Tony Romo, but that guy's got a good feel for the game, man. Bringing that energy. My one pet peeve, though, I don't like. Romo does this, but other people do it. I really don't like when announcers tell you what the coach is saying to the player on the sideline. Like, you literally have no clue what he's saying to the player. He's like, oh, he's telling him right here, you know, don't give up too much room on this. And that. Like, what do you mean? He could be talking about the play call and what they talked about in the film room and what the receiver did and not what he did. Like, you don't know what he's saying. Don't tell me what the coach is saying unless you know exactly what the coach is saying. I'm just making stuff up. Hmm. It's not a Romo thing. It's an announcer thing. All right, carry on. What'd you think of this game? It's a good one. Great game. I mean, genuinely, like the takeaway from this game, and I think this still holds true after last night's game, is that these are the two best teams in the NFL. Like I would petition to make this the Super Bowl this year, whatever happens. I don't care who gets through the playoffs. I don't care the fact they're both in the AFC. This should be the Super Bowl. These are the two best teams in the league this year. And this was a game that showed it. And what was fascinating uh, when you compare it to the playoff game the playoff game was like an arena league game where it's going to be 65-62. Everybody is scoring at every possession, and it's literally a case of who screws up in one possession. Because if you don't score, you, you're, you're a possession behind, you're losing the game. That was what the playoff game was like, particularly late when the defenses got gassed and were just wrecked. <clears throat> and it was like, nobody's stopping either of these teams. Whoever has the ball is going to score, and it's just a case of whoever gets it last and or whoever gets it first in overtime, and then we need to change the rules. This, though, we saw defense being a much bigger part of it, particularly Buffalo with the addition of Von Miller, who you could make a pretty good case to like, change this game's outcome individually. The, you know, Von Miller absolutely affected the outcome of this game with the, the plays that he had and the, the time that he dialed up his special plays. But that addition of defense changed the dynamic. Now, it meant... It, it didn't stop either of these teams being great, and it was great defense in addition to good offense at times, and it was still really neck and neck close. But we saw that these two teams can win this kind of way as well. Um, I came away massively impressed with both of them. I, I was very shocked that it was a, a really bad mistake by Mahomes that ended up costing them. Like that, that was the one play where all right, it was a really good defensive play to pick it off, but that's, that's a mistake Mahomes doesn't usually make. Yeah, so uh, high level, Josh Allen was the difference in this game. Big time throws left and right. I want to go through that in a minute. But a couple of the mistakes on both sides, right? Because we're talking about, oh, it was low scoring. We had Josh Allen with a pitch that just, was it off the helmet or whatever? I mean, a pitch in the red zone, basically a, a turnover, fumble recovery by the Chiefs. You had Patrick Mahomes. Look, both he had two interceptions, man, both outside the pocket. One was in the red zone. Throws it up for grabs in the red zone on third down. Kyrie Elam, the rookie, goes up and makes a great play to secure the interception. That was early on. And then you have the game ender. 
Um, great by play by Teron Johnson. So um, it was like what I said about Lamar earlier this year or earlier in the show here. We see the spectacular plays a lot today. I mean, in this game, they just went the other way for Mahomes. Um, one of them was, I think the end zone interception was a bad decision, but it wasn't, it wasn't like right to Kyir Elam. It was just, you know, he took a shot here. Um, it was a, it was jump ballish, but like it was a catch. I yeah. mean, in the cornerback had Fowler Scantley had it in his hands, and then Elam took it away on the way down. The really? game ender, you know, he missed he misread the coverage, and yeah. Teron Johnson made a great play. Another example, by the way, remember last week we were talking about all of these interceptions where everything is rolling in one direction, and you just never factor in the guy that was already in that direction who's going to work yeah. his way back. Exactly the same thing. Mahomes works was right. Two or three receivers are heading right, and then he just doesn't doesn't factor in the guy that was there already. Uh, but Josh Allen with six big-time throws. There was, there was a lot of turning points in this game. Let me go back to the Chiefs really quick. We got to see the halftime thing again. They had 12 seconds. 12 seconds this time, not 13. Right? With 16 seconds, the Bills are like, we got this now. We're going to, you know, we're going to kick it and force the return. Yeah, we're going to, you know, kick it all along the uh, ground. But, yeah, that's wrong, Ben. Lower that. <laughs> Fix that, Ben. Jump bolish. So, the... Chiefs kick the field goal. I mean, Butker hits a 62-yarder. That was good from like a million. Yes. That that crossed the line halfway up the goalposts at 62 yards. I think, I feel like kickers are on STDs or something. And people were uh, saying, wow, people, STDs? STDs, PEDs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Huh. Cut that out. PEDs. Kickers. They're on something that's jacking them up. Kickers Not are on STDs. STDs. All right. Whew. Can I get some more coffee over here? Um, <laughs> I caught that as soon as I said it. Yeah. So people were saying that that was against the wind as well. Now, I don't know how true that is, you know, and oftentimes inside the stadium, the, 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 the wind swirls or it's in a different direction than the flags or whatever. But if he hit 62 yards, good from 72 Uh. against the wind, that's the, that's the greatest single kick in NFL history. Genuinely. I mean, it probably wasn't that. Yeah, squib. Look, I'm doing bad with words. Hmm. They try to squib kick. The little kick along the ground. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. When you talk long enough, we talk for like sometimes eight hours you're a week. Sometimes you're going to say people are on STDs. Yeah, sometimes get, you say it. that. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you accuse former linebackers of being murderers. You talk about the end. Yeah, stuff happens. <laughs> so anyway, incredible <laughs> kick. Yeah. It's like, oh, they did it again to make it 10-10 at the half. Yeah. Um, the first touchdown of the game, too, by the way. It was just funny, man. Like, classic Mahomes. He's kind of scrambling around. He finds Juju Smith-Schuster. It's like, oh, they converted a first down on third and eight. They did it again. And then Juju just right through the defense for a 42-yard touchdown. Early in the game, like, there were, like, four near touchdowns in the first 12 minutes. And then Elam ends up taking away one that could have, should have been a touchdown in the end zone for Valdez Scantling. Um, So... This this whole game, you could sort of see how on a knife edge it was. Like, it was only ever one play in either direction throughout the entirety of the game. And actually, for the majority of it, it felt like Mahomes was dealing with the kind of the pressure or the the big moments better than, than Josh Allen. Um, Mahomes was making those plays, converting third and eight, all those kinds of things. Josh Allen just felt a little bit rushed or a little bit, you know, snatching at plays early in the game. And then seemed to hit the groove and sort of settle back into that. No, actually, now he's just unstoppable again. Um, and then, again, like Mahomes later on had a touchdown where it's like he feels like the, the, the offensive equivalent of Aaron Donald, which is if you, if you give him enough time, 
he will score. You know, like a lot of quarterbacks, you'll get, you'll still, even if you never get pressure on the play and he's got eight seconds to work in the red zone, he'll still not get there. Like he'll find, he'll force it. Inevitable. Yeah. But with Mahomes, if you give him that length of time, you know, if you do not get pressure in the red zone and you don't force him to rush something, he's going to find a guy. Like it's, it's literally inevitable. It's like Aaron Donald. He will get pressure. It's just a case of how long it takes. So that's what Mahomes was feeling like. But then it was Josh Allen just finding that extra gear and, you know, hurdling dudes and just making the plays when it mattered. Uh, the, two, the two touchdown drives, two of the touchdown drives that the Bills had, um, some similarities. Right before the half, before the squib kick, like, let's not forget what happened here. The Bills had the ball at the four. With, with a, they, they were running a two-minute drill from the four, and they went 96 yards on seven plays. And this is where the big-time throws came in. We talk a lot about, oh, too high, makes you throw the ball underneath and all that stuff. Well, Josh Allen on both touchdown drives did this. Cover two whole shot to Stephon Diggs. So this is what made it great. When, team, when, they play, when the Chiefs played too high, where do you create those big plays? It's got to be up the seam or it's got to be that cover two shot, right? Between the corners and the safeties. So the Chiefs play too high. Josh Allen hits the cover two shot on a corner route to Stephon Dix. Not really a whole shot, but, you know, like in the hole of the zone to create a chunk play. And then as soon as they go single coverage, Gabriel Davis over the top hits him in stride, 34-yard touchdown. Later in the game, what ended up being the, the drive that put them up 17-10, to 10, the touchdown that put them up 17-10, to 10, Kind of a similar thing. Hits a cover two shot to Dawson Knox. And then as soon as they go single coverage, they blitz him. Stephon Diggs over the top. Was that the blitz with Stephon Diggs? Either way, hit Stephon Diggs, put it right on his hands over the top. Josh Allen was creating chunk plays no matter what the coverage was. If it was cover two, we're going to find those chunk plays in the holes of the zone. If it's single coverage, we're going to throw the goal ball and let Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis win. That was it. And then the, then the game-winning touchdown by Josh Allen, I mean, just incredible. It's, it's 14 yards on the stat sheet, 14 yards. It's only a 14-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. He just waited for Dawson Knox to get out of, his, uh, out of his break. I don't know why he was even pointing, but he was pointing for yeah. whatever reason. He seemed to be pointing in the opposite direction. I don't know if that was deliberate, like, hey, misdirection, but he seemed to be guiding somebody back inside and then through outside I, to I, Knox. I don't know why he was pointing, but he pointed and then he threw an absolute missile to the one place right on the front number where Dawson Knox could catch it for the game-winning touchdown. So the difference in the game, all told, plus you have the Josh Allen QB sweep and you know the leap and all that stuff. That was great. But the difference in the game was six big-time throws by Josh Allen and against different types of coverages, and they all led to touchdowns. They all led to touchdown drive. I mean, three of them were touchdowns, but they all led. They were all part of big chunk play touchdown drives. That was the difference in this game. Yeah, that and I think Von Miller showing up basically in every critical third down throughout the course of the game. Like uh, Von Miller gets a sack on third and 13. Um, Kansas City has to kick a field goal, uh, potentially a four-point play. Uh, Von Miller gets a sack. So w- this was fascinating because Kansas City takes the lead with that field goal, right? They go up 20 to 17. There is nine, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Bills start their drive. Um, they go four plays in, and then Josh Allen gets sacked by Chris Jones in what was a blatant tripping call. That was bad. Now, yeah. I was saying, look, for the second week in a row, the Chris Jones as, an, as a pure edge rusher thing was 
dumb last season as a start. It was just a silly thing to do. Take a giant 300-pound, 315-pound interior lineman, one of the best in the league, and say, okay, you're our best pass rusher. You're going to move to the edge because you're the best guy we have doing it. Crazy. But having a giant 300-pound interior defensive lineman that can kick out to an edge rusher position and still wreck house... Win for speed, man. ...is really useful. So we've seen that from Aaron Donald in recent weeks, and we've seen it from Chris Jones in back-to-back weeks. He had a great win on the edge, and then Allen probably would have gotten out of it and made a play, but Jones tripped him and got the sack. And the official staring right at it is like, nah, that's cool. Don't worry about it. So egregious missed call. Um, but, and that, when you look at that position, like, okay, Kansas City just went ahead. Really egregious missed call. Buffalo's going to have to punt it away with, what, seven, eight minutes on the clock? The Chiefs are going to get the ball. That's a, that's a potential devastating blow for Buffalo. And then Kansas City goes three and out with a Von Miller sack on third and six. Buffalo gets the ball back, and then that was the drive. They went and scored the go-ahead touchdown. So what felt at the time as a massive swing of momentum away from the Bills ended up not actually mattering in part because of Von Miller, again, showing up on those key third downs. You're a big momentum guy? Huge momentum guy. Big was mo a, in the house. There was another interesting play early, uh, early fourth quarter where the Bills went for it on fourth and three and didn't get it. Um, nobody's getting fired for this because, you know, we, we like to call for coaches' jobs when they go for it on fourth down. Here's what was interesting. Bills go for it. Well, I mean, third and one, of course, they're going for it. On third and one, the Bills lost two yards. Uh, run up the middle. The, uh, the broadcast missed the play. <laughs> they came back. I was like, this, feel, this feels like a long commercial. Before you know it, Devin Singletary is getting tackled in the backfield. So you went from third and one to fourth and three. And I feel like coaches are usually primed for like, oh, a bad thing just happened. Let's punt. They went from third and one, probably thinking, hey, if it's fourth and one, we'll go for it. But fourth and three, they went for it on the Kansas City 46. So right near midfield, they don't get it. And that's when uh, Kansas City goes and gets that the field goal to go up three. So that's where you would say, hey, this is this is risky. You're basically handing the Chiefs a field goal here, which they did. It was the go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter for the Chiefs. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying it ended up being the right move, but they were aggressive because they trusted their offense to come back. And they also trusted their defense. When we talk about, like, the touchy-feely, like, do you trust your defense to punt and trust your defense? Like, you don't trust – there's no more trust in your defense than giving it to them at midfield against the Chiefs. So if you're into that aspect of it, you're saying, hey, defense, we believe in you to hold this to a field goal, which was – a huge a huge drive for the Bills defense to only give up a field goal and that ended up being all Kansas City scored Von Miller uh just on third down had a 50 percent pressure rate in this game 60 percent pass rush win rate a key third downs was when Von Miller showed up that's kind of the point I will say also that Josh Allen in short yarded situations is a genuine cheat code yeah. for if you're fourth and inches Buffalo literally should never kick on fourth and inches because I don't see how you can stop Josh Allen, particularly with the rugby mall plays that are being called these days, which is like Buffalo is doing a lot where they have Gabriel Davis behind Josh Allen or in motion behind Josh Allen. And then Allen, you know, launches himself into a gap and Davis comes in from behind and drives him forward. And that combination is basically unstoppable. Run more malls. We're only, I don't understand why it's not happening already, but just, Put, instead of Gabriel Davis, 
put your backup tackle in there. And instead of 200 pounds driving the quarterback into a gap, it's 330 pounds driving a quarterback into a gap. Like, why, why are we not adding the most amount of power possible to this unstoppable force of inertia, you know, driving a quarterback a foot over the line? I, I, that, to me, is the obvious next step for this. But my point being, the Bills should absolutely never be kicking on fourth and sh- third and fourth and short because you can't stop Josh Allen. Yeah. I agree. Um, what'd you think? So two minutes left. Bills are down by four. I'm um, down by three. Two minutes left. That was when they they ran the QB sweep. Josh Allen with leaping over. Mm. Um, I forget who it was, but leaping play. There's always like one of those per game. And I every think it was big Justin game. Reed. And was Reed? the thing about it, that is that they kind of set it up a couple of times because Allen had run into Justin Reed a couple of times early in that game. And I was thinking he, he went one where he barreled into him reed made the tackle it was a pretty good tackle in the open field but you're like god that must suck like josh allen's the best part of 250 pounds he outweighs you by a lot that that's not a fun tackle to make and i like i've made those tackles where you're taking taking down a guy significantly larger and heavier than you are and you know that the best i can do here is to make the tackle and have him sort of fall over my prone corpse you know He's going to gain two or three yards in the tackle by falling over my dead body. That's essentially the best I got to hope for here. And they're fine plays, but those suck. Like, nobody likes giving up that kind of play, you know? Should I throw on my Josh Allen jersey and we'll try to reenact some of this? Sure. Me running through you, me leaping over you? Yes. should definitely do that. I'm all for that. All right. Yeah. Um, Maybe for TikTok. But that was sort of earlier in the game, and then, you know, Reed is coming in for this next hit obviously focusing on let's try and stay low let's try and win the leverage battle here and Allen just goes you right over the top so did you think that the the Bills should have considered not scoring so quickly did that like did that cross your mind they needed a touchdown I mean a touchdown to win field goal to tie they went Josh Allen sweep Josh Allen sweep it's then second and 12 that's when Josh Allen hits Dawson Knox for the game winning touchdown with about a minute 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 nine right um, so the Chiefs get the ball back with about a minute. They only had two timeouts. They'd burned one earlier in the half. Did it ever cross your minds that time was a factor? We're afraid of the Chiefs. Even though a touchdown makes them have to score a touchdown, which is different than getting into field goal range. Um, not it, So, no. Because of the way the game was going, I, it, it's not like the last game. You know, the last game, because offenses were scoring at will, nobody could stop anybody. That I think you could actually genuinely play with the clock and say, you can determine when you want to score because it was that easy. Yeah. You know, and you can genuinely go, all right, we need to take all the time off the clock and score here. This one, it wasn't that easy to score. And I think you take the points wherever the hell they are. And if it means you leave a minute and 10 on the clock, it means you leave a minute and 10 on the clock and so be it. Um, but it did occur. To, I, like, I was immediately thinking, well, this is, I mean, Kansas City scoring. You know, inevitably, you've left Mahomes a minute on the clock. He just showed you that he can get the thing done in 12 seconds. He showed you before he'd get it done in 13 seconds. A minute and four, that's all day. Um, and so i absolutely shocked that Mahomes then goes in, what, the second play? Yeah. Uh, interception. <laughs> For, so the first play, the Bills, the Bills had a lot of snaps, about 20, 24 times, 20 to 24 times they played man. Um, 24 total. I don't remember – they must have had four defensive holding penalties. Every time they played man, 
they were grabbing. Mahomes was pointing at the secondary the whole game. Like, somebody held, somebody held, and he was right most of the time. Um, so a holding penalty on the first play of the drive. Second play, though, Vaughn takes the inside move. He wins. Often risky, though. Uh, inside move against Mahomes is often risky. If you don't get home, he gets out the, outside the pocket. But the other thing about Mahomes outside the pocket, a lot of times he's patient. This time he kind of threw it quickly. A lot of times he rolls out and he sees it, he sees it, and he waits for something to open up. He forced it. Teron Johnson, outstanding play to pick it off and mm-hmm. to uh, to seal the deal. It was a very similar play in uh, the, to the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl interception in terms of getting there in the first place is impressive. Getting your body across the, catch the guy to shield the ball from the intended receiver and be able to pick it off and not drop it is an incredibly good play. Yep. So uh, Bills win 24-20. to 20. They move to 5-1. and one. They're only lost to the to two as Dolphins. And, and the uh, Heat. They had a chance to win that. There's the Heat game. That's right. Bills are Bills are undefeated when they're not playing in the Miami Heat. Undefeated Chiefs. when there isn't a 35-degree difference between their <laughs> sideline and the opposition's. Chiefs fall to 4-2, and two, but as you said, maybe the two best teams in the NFL. Not named the Eagles. Eagles move to 6-0. and mm-hmm. Dominating first half for the Eagles. But as they've done... And other times this year, dominate the first half and then kind of let teams back in it in the second half. But uh, big-time drive by the Eagles to seal the deal at the end. 13 plays, 75 yards, took over seven and a half min- minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter. Finished with uh, Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith for a seven-yard touchdown. And the Eagles come away with the win 26-17 to over Cooper Rush's Cowboys. Cooper Rush has finally lost an NFL game as a starter. Yeah. And therefore, the entire uh, argument propping up, should he take Dak Prescott's job, just evaporates in a puff of smoke. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, you saw that in this game. It was not good. Of course. I mean, this was honestly self-evident. Yeah. The thing about this was that the Eagles should have had this game done. Like, right at the start, they go up big. Dallas then doesn't challenge what was a first down. Um, went for it on fourth, right? And then made a mess of it. Just went for one of those kind of bigger plays than you needed deals. Couldn't get it done. That was when they were down 14 nothing. That could have been game over right there. Um, and then they, the Eagles lose Lane Johnson at right tackle. All of a sudden, blocking Micah Parsons becomes a bigger problem. Dallas starts to creep their way back into it. The Eagles eventually end up getting there anyway, but... This game should have been long dead, particularly with the plays that defense was making. And Dallas ended up finding a way back into it. They did a good job. They they started, you know, bo- uh, a little bit boot action. Hey, Zeke's 14, it was a 14-yard touchdown run that he had. That was awesome. Yeah. Was a really good run by Zeke. You know, weaving through the defense. He looked pretty good in this game, Tony Pollard. So they played much better, the Cowboys, at least in the second half. And look, here's the thing. This happens a lot in NFL games. The Cowboys' defense is good, right? They remain good. So even if they get down 14 to nothing, a lot of times you can make enough stops to, to stay in there, and they did some creative things with the pass rush again and, and slowed down the Eagles long enough. I thought the first quarter, really key part of the game, the Eagles at the end of the first quarter line up for a fourth and three, fourth and four. I think it was fourth and four. And there was about 20 seconds on the play clock, 17 seconds left in the quarter, whatever it is. And you see Sirianni just saying, hey, stay out there. And it was like, I thought it was clear as day. The Eagles, who had just, they had just gone for a fourth and three earlier in the drive. 
but this was clear as day, I think. Fourth and four, around the 15, they're kicking a field goal. But at the end of the first quarter, they were going to let the quarter run out. They just wanted to see if they could draw the Cowboys off sides, and they did it. Cowboys took the bait, and then the Eagles end up scoring a touchdown. I did not anticipate the Eagles going for that at all. I thought they were going to kick the field goal at the beginning of the second quarter once the you know, drawing them off sides didn't work. Four-point difference just right there, just by jumping off sides. Little things like that, man. I think the Eagles, the Eagles are doing all of that stuff. Little stuff like that. The, 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 they're one of the best mall teams in the NFL. Yes. Right? One of the best mall teams in the NFL on those QB sneaks. Um, a lot of the misdirection, like what a beautiful play design on the, the game-winning, well, not the game-winning touchdown, but the game-sealing touchdown to Devontae Smith where he's like fake blocking and then goes like busted coverage and it was wide open. The Eagles are doing a lot of cool stuff. And, and to set up that touchdown, it was like, oh, by the way, we could just get the ball to A.J. Brown in space and he's just going to run through a couple defenders and, and make a big play. Their secondary is also so good. Their secondary. Man, Bradbury had 10 targets. Just, three catches to 30 yards. Absolute ball hawking right now. And you could tell when we talk about like where are Cooper Rush's limitations and where would where will a B- Bailey Zappi run into issues at some point? It's when they ha- when you when you're down a couple scores and you have to keep throwing the ball down the field or just throw the ball outside the numbers, right? Like Darius Slay breaks up a Michael Gallup pass outside the numbers on the uh, one of the late drives in the fourth quarter. It's like, I don't respect this. I don't respect you throwing the ball outside the numbers. I'm going to sit off of it. I'm going to break. They're absolute ball hawks in that secondary, and you could tell they knew, hey, Cooper Rush isn't making these throws outside the pocket, they, uh, outside the numbers. They also had a very interesting way of dealing with Micah Parsons um, because they spent a lot of the game not blocking him at all yeah. and just optioning him instead. Remember it was a few years ago somebody did this to, to Von Miller. They did it. The Eagles the, did it That's to what Von. I thought it was. Because yeah. I remember the Eagles, because nobody likes PFF grades, of course, the Eagles, we, we ended up giving Von Miller a good grade for the game because he ended up, like when he did rush the passer, he won some reps. And they were like, oh, he was a non-factor. And it's mm. like, well, he didn't play poorly. Right. They just did a really good job of optioning off of him a lot but he still had good plays in there, right? Yeah. Even if he wasn't as much of a factor in the game. Sorry, go ahead. So they, well, they were essentially saying, look, we don't have, if we, even though we have two very good offensive tackles, we still are scared enough of Micah Parsons to think that he can do damage against those guys. And we can neutralize him by not even touching him, by just optioning him as the end man on the line of scrimmage every play and saying, whatever you do, you're wrong. We're just yep. going to literally read your play. And if you go for the, you know, either way, you're going to be incorrect on this play. I think more teams should be doing that because he is special enough to absolutely destroy one-on-one. And sure, you can get around that by giving tight end help and running back help and, you know, changing the entire scheme to move around that every single play. Or you can incorporate these read option looks. And, okay, you you need the right quarterback to do that. You're not going to get away with it with Tom Brady, you know. But if you have any kind of mobile threat as a quarterback, you should uh, include these option runs and just say, look, we're, we're just going to go where Michael Parsons dictates we go with this. If he doesn't play the run, we'll give it. We'll give the inside handoff. If he crashes down on that run, we'll give the quarterback and have him carry it. And even, you know, you can run RPOs off the back end of that as well and still keep it a passing attack. But that was effective. And then there were the sort of few plays right at the start where they lost – uh, Lane Johnson and Jack Driscoll came in where they didn't for some reason, then went back to it. Then, um, yeah, it did seem like Micah Parsons, he only ended up rushing the passer 18 times. Um, the Eagles didn't drop back a ton, but 
Parsons played a few more snaps at traditional linebacker. I think more in the second half, too. And they also dropped him, I think, in part because this was happening. And they dropped him. He had that nice pass breakup on one play as well. So that part, when they play again, um, Dak will make it, should make it more competitive, I think, for the Cowboys offense. But the cat and mouse game of the Cowboys defense and we had, you know, all the compliments we had given Dan Quinn and what he did, really impressive back and forth between the Eagles offense and the uh, in the Cowboys defense. I remember how close Dallas's offense came to, to getting right back in this. They were half an ass cheek away from getting that extra touchdown. It was a four point ass cheek. You just wanted to set that up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Noah Brown. Noah Brown. Wait, when did Noah Brown become their best receiver, by the way? Five star recruit, you see. Oh, okay. Yeah. So back then. Cooper Rush has unlocked Noah Brown. He'll go back to just being Noah Brown when Dak's there. It's the Cooper Rush unlocking. Um, Jake Ferguson's been pretty good as a rookie uh, tight end as well. Trying to get, They were getting him in space a bunch. He got in the, uh, in the end zone for a score. but um, And then the Cooper Rush, uh, the last interception, all Brandon Graham creating the pressure, popped him. Like, this is I tweeted the, that out, and everybody was like, no, that's just Cooper Ar- Cooper Rush's arm strength. I'm like, listen, you can make fun of his arm strength all you want. He got popped, and the ball, you know, was 20 yards short because of it. They, they were, <laughs> I was sort of fascinated by how dismissive the broadcast was of the shot to the face that he took in that particular hit. I don't think it was to, I thought it was to the chest. He got, his face mask got clipped. And you're like, so he gets up immediately being like, hey, I got shot to the chin. Like, no, glancing, glancing blow, good no call. Exactly. So, and yeah, was it John Parry? Is that their, the official? Is no, that's the other guy. He's, who is no, it? No, I forget offhand now. Damn it, what's his name? Anyway, the, the, uh, the rules official for the broadcast is like, literally exactly, said exactly that. It's like, no, glancing blow, incidental contact, not really a hard hit. And you're like, that's pretty easy to say from the booth, you know? But when you're the dude that got popped in the face yeah. mask, that was probably a lot harder than you thought it was, you know? And in this world of protecting quarterbacks and any slight incidental contact to the head is getting called uh, roughing the passer. I'm not saying I want that to be called because, frankly, I think quarterbacks are being protected to a ludicrous degree right now. I'm just saying that by the rules, that was an illegal hit, you know? And it will get called in other places. And that is the inconsistency is what annoys the living crap out of people. Uh, on that play, by the way, C.D. Lamb had smoked James Bradbury. Yes, wide open. Absolutely smoked him. Now, there is, it was a long throw. There, sure. is, there is questions about whether or not There was Cooper a lot of room to make there it was a lot get of there, you know? I think he would have at least completed that pass. And that, is, that ended up becoming a game-changing pressure and eventually turnover, obviously, on the, when the ball popped Phenomenally up. Brandon Graham game. Four pressures on 18 rushes, pass rush, a win rate of almost 40%, no sacks. Yeah, that's why I didn't make the bet this year. That's why I didn't make the bet. Okay. Because I don't get credit for the interception. Mm. You should. PFF grade will, um, but not sack totals. There was another. Oh, that was it. So there was a quite a clear block in the back in this game where the, the they was a CD. Yeah. Had one. And they came on having reviewed it and were like, uh, after discussion. Oh, no, that was different. That was different. No, no. It was, it, so some run to the sideline. It might have been. Pollard was the guy delivering the block. It might have been CeeDee Lamb's run. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Block in the back, pretty clearly. And the juxtaposition of slow motion replay illustrating the block in the back and then immediately cut to the ref, goes on the mic and goes, after discussion, there's no foul for block in the back on the play. You're like, I'm going to need a better explanation than that because we literally just watched a replay of the block in the back. You need to explain the call. I, this... 
after discussion, we just decided not is not good enough in today's NFL. I need explanation because we are looking at something that directly contradicts the crap you just come on and said in the mic. People used to rip on Ed Hockley for all the pl- the airtime that he got, you know, because of the yeah. He at least explained things. He did. And look, maybe it was, I don't even care what his motivations were. Maybe the motivations were the longer I talk, the more people check out the pecs on national TV. He became the most famous ref just because he talked the most. Right, had the but most he explained every call and told you why it was happening. Did he, though? Yes. It no, he like did. Defensive holding on the defense. The defense held. No, he was we're very... Gonna, we're going to make it a five-yard penalty, which by rule is a first down. He Defensive was hold. very verbose in his explanations, but he generally told you what was happening on the call and why it was happening that way. And the, every NFL ref should have to do that. If you're coming on the mic, if they're showing you the damn replay of the thing, you should have to explain why the discussion you've decided that's not a block in the back because everyone just watched it be a block in the back. Yeah, there's some just some bad calls. I think it was the Rams-Panthers game too. There was a pass in the end zone. Receiver just gets like his face mask ripped, and they're like, yeah, "Incomplete, it's fine, mm. no big deal." And I was like, "That's, I mean, that's a, it would have been first and goal at the one." It's one thing though if they just don't see it or it's just a missed call or whatever. But if you're coming on actively telling people, no, I get it, that the thing you've just seen is not a penalty. That like should not be York, allowed. Someone in New York just watched this replay, yeah, that the same not, one we're all seeing, and that we're told should it. not be allowed without the explanation as to why. Because that's just not enough information for today's league. We are literally watching that play as well. We're seeing it. So if you're telling us that's not a, a flag, you need, to tell, you need to say why it's not a flag. Well, I'm going to tell you why we're wrapping it up because that's all the games. Good, good six, reason. 6-0 six and oh Eagles, 4-2 and two Cowboys. Look at us, 12 minutes early here. Perfect. With, uh, six fewer teams or whatever. It. Four fewer teams. Um, all right, so we got Monday Night Football tonight. You get to watch the Broncos again in prime time. You're welcome. The drama. This is going to be awesome. It's Russ. It's Nathaniel Hackett. It's Brandon Staley. Staley's going to go for it on like 4th and 19 from his own 10. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be a great game. Broncos Chargers here, Monday Night Football. We'll be back again on Wednesday, of course, with our midweek show. And on your way to Wednesday, be sure to pick up the PFF app, all of our great betting, fantasy advice in the App Store. Search PFF right now. Go grab the app. And on your way out, what do you do, Sam? You hit the like button. Got to hit the like button. Also, apparently, if you leave comments, that's part of the algorithm, you know? Yeah, leave a comment. Just say, I was here. Or just, I hit the like button. I hit the like button. Yeah, tell leave people. Leave a comment. Tell people you hit the like button. And, uh, and we, we, I appreciate everybody listening to us. We had a lot of people go to PFT and Big Cat and say, hey, you know, join the show and all that stuff. A lot of people did it. They did. I mean, they're still too big time for us. Yeah. But, we, you know, I appreciate it. They're very busy as well. Yeah. Can we get Sean Payton for this week? Call Sean Payton. I'm working on a guest this week. He was going to get back to me and yet hasn't. Hmm. All right. We'll have a guest on Wednesday, previewing Thursday Night Football. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again Wednesday.